Welcome to the GNT Show. Welcome everyone to another fun-filled adventure that is the G&T show for another week. I'm once again joined by my host with the most, a man who just puts the G in Bulldogs, a man who is the myth, the legend, a man who is in for an MVP hour. G, how are you this week? I'm good. I believe I'm dropping the myth part. I'm all legend this week, and I think the Bulldogs are missing quite a few letters other than the G at the moment. It's amazing how you spell the Bulldogs with an F and a C and a K in it. No, yeah, well, at the moment, that's what it's coming down like. It's a bunch of asterisks and ampersands. <laughs> so it's another massive week in the world of rugby league. Where do we start? As, as always, we'll start with the news around the game. Adam Reynolds is continuing to cause headlines with, with the refusal of Souths to offer him a two-year contract. It's been, he's, and he's been playing out of his skin. As we mentioned and we foreshadowed last week, it's unlike the NRL to have knee-jerk reactions and rule changes. And as a result, an 18th man rule has been introduced, which no one can perceivably ever use. That, that's the great thing about it. There's so many conditions that it's... Kind of... Well, you've got to have three people go off with a HIA. So, you know what? I was thinking about this. You know what it's going to do? If you've got two players off with a HIA and someone tears their hamstring, they're going to go off for a HIA. <laughs> it just... <laughs> He's clutching his leg and they're going to go, oh, it's a HIA. He's hurt his head. The trainer will come out with, you know, the little hammers they used to use to test your reflexes, just knock them on the head and take them off. Yeah, correct. It's a HIA. I'm pretty sure he tore his hamstring. <laughs> nah, man, he's, he tore it from his neck down. I don't know why. I mean, this is where the AFL gets it right and we get it wrong. Uh, they've got a rules committee, but the AFL rules committee is not made up of just current coaches, <laughs> which is what ru- ruins the NRL rules oh, committee. I, oh, I know. I've, I've always found that amusing. It's like, let's ask the current coaches who have teams that would benefit from this what the rules should be. And it's like, what? the hell <laughs> but it's ridiculous the way they've got it set up and they've got you know kevin bartlett used to sit on it right great great afl player for the richmond tigers in the 70s and early 80s is that the guy that was going bald at like 24 yeah correct correct that's the one yeah. with the comb over yeah he, they used to call him the g of the afl <laughs> i wish i had that comb over mate but you know what i mean they get they get different parts of different stakeholders involved not just the coaches to decide what the rules are going to be and then they only change it at the end of the season they have a whole committee they have a whole process about it it's completely transparent they come out and they go we considered this or we're trialing this rule in pre-season and you and i speak about this all the time just the governance over this sport leaves a lot to be desired i used to know the rules and honestly now <laughs> there's so many different rules you can't keep up with it you're watching the game and i'm relying on the commentator so that's a seven tackle set you know oh, by the way that's one rule i absolutely hate get rid of the seven tackle set it's ridiculous it just gives easy field position and it's pointless. So get rid of it. But Emperor Valandis has made the decision and it's it's come in. You know what? I just think he, he, he needs to stop doing it through the Daily Telegraph too. I think he needs to get a piece of parchment and a scroll and unscroll it out the front of <laughs> Rugby League headquarters. And just it's a decree. It's just a decree. Thou shalt have an 18th man. He's pet lion. And Andrew Abdo comes in behind him and goes, this is how it'll work. What about Adam Reynolds, though? What do you think of Adam Reynolds? Should they sign him to a two-year contract? He's over 30. As Cody Walker goes south, go, right? Adam Reynolds steers the team around. He's got a fantastic kicking game. I kind of get their one-year deal that they put on the table, but I'm actually divided on this. I can see why they would want to get rid of him, and I could also see why they wouldn't. They wouldn't want to pay him the big money because of his age, but and they probably think a younger person can come in and do a similar job. But I also think they probably underestimate 
he's the guidance he gives the team at times. I don't know whether you read the paper during the week, but they've got about 16 players off contract over the next couple of years, and they've only got $2 million of salary cap space. Their salary cap situation coming up is really, really tight. And yeah. the big one, the big one coming off is Cody Walker at the end of next year. Not this year, end of next year. So you can't keep both. You can't no. keep Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds. Now, I agree with you. Cody Walker's the, the magic that makes Souths yeah. work. But Cody Walker doesn't have the space to operate in without Adam Reynolds' organizational skills because he doesn't have to organize the team, Cody Walker, and Adam Reynolds' kicking skills. So they kind of complement each other. And Cody Walker gives that running magic that Adam Reynolds doesn't have. Yes. So... They, they kind of complement each other. They, they, I think you take them apart. The sum of the parts are more than the individual pieces. Yeah, and that's the bit that I'm a little... That's why I'm a bit uncertain. I can sort of see where their headspace is at. Like you say, two years' time, yeah, we can probably replace him. But, yeah, they underestimate that combination in a way. And I think they think they can probably plug anybody else in there and do a similar job. I don't necessarily think that works that way. Yeah, I, ju- I just think... Oh, this is their window. I'm, I'm of the firm belief that this year is... is South's best chance over the next little while to win the premiership. Unless those young kids that they're talking about, they're only 17, right? It's a lot of pressure to put on 17-year-old kids. The the Australian schoolboys halfback and that sort of stuff. They've got a couple of young halves coming through that they're very confident on. But look, look, Sam Walker had a good debut on the weekend. So uh, Yeah, I mean, we can talk about that. But yeah, so, you know, I think it is a lot of pressure. It's too much to expect. You want to blood them slowly. And you see that always works well with Melbourne. I, I think they probably should sign him for two years and make the cap work and shift some of the contracts around because like you say their window is now they've got a chance to win it in the next couple of years and Cody Walker's not young either well that's right that's right they're, they're roughly the same age they're, they're both 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 this side of 30 but they're only going to offer if, if they stick to their rules they're only going to offer Cody Walker a single year as well and he'll get picked up somewhere on a multi-year contract now for the rumour sure. is North Queensland want to pick up Adam Reynolds um, three million over three years he is a South junior there is nothing about that cowboy situation that's attractive. Although, other than the weather, Adam Reynolds is a really good fit. Really good fit for North Queensland. He gives them something they don't have. Please, Jake Clifford versus Adam Reynolds. It's no contest, right? Yeah, I would go if I was Adam Reynolds. A three-year, three million dollar contract. I mean, their halves are Clifford, Drinkwater. Is that Clifford the big red dog? And and Michael Morgan. Yeah. I mean, Adam Reynolds is head and shoulders better than three, all three of them. He is. And uh, look, I would go. If I was Adam Reynolds and I got offered a three-year deal for $3 million, I honestly, I know he's from Alexandria Rovers, very much a local junior, literally could walk to Redfern Oval. I, I would go. I, I don't think you're going to get that deal at Souths. And I know he doesn't want to leave, but three three years for three mil is a lot of money to turn down when you're 31. Yeah, it, it certainly is. But we'll see what happens there. Um, a couple of other things that happened uh, over the weekend and over the, in the news. North Queensland, it's clear now that Todd Payton's lost the dressing room there. And we've been saying it for a couple of weeks. I wasn't quite sure, but I think after my tip on the weekend, I thought if they're ever going to put it together, Cronulla might have players out and this might be an opportunity. Holy shit. Yeah, it was Cronulla B. Cronulla B smashed them. I mean, I, I mean this was... Oh, we'll get to it. But they weren't even in the... I mean, I've only got no. four lines of notes for that game. I mean, Sharks kicked off. Cowboys did well for the first 10 minutes and then Sharks dominated for 70. I mean, that was basically the game. That's, that's basically it. But yeah, so I think you're right. I think he's lost the dressing room totally. It's four games in. How did he lose the dressing room? And he was and he was the assistant coach there under Paul Green for years and years. Like he was he was an inside appointment. You know what's funny? Like listening to some of the commentary, right? Is they've always and I said this before. You know when we're talking about, I've always felt they've been a media darling, and everyone's like, oh, they're going to make the eight, they're going to make the eight. But they they're such a media favorite that they don't really get the criticism because all their players play State of Origin and especially the performances in the last two years. They're running practically last. They they 
are terrible most weeks and everyone's talking about how great a game their players are playing, whether it's Michael Morgan, Tumalolo. And I think what's happened is he's come in and tried to shake them out. And Greg Alexander talks about this a lot. And he's one of the few commentators that's brought it up a few times. Remember when he said Thurston's gone a year too long? Warren Smith and Brandy are my two favorite uh, commentator combos. And Brandy's talked about, you know, he feels like they've been lazy for a couple of years and actually basically haven't had the blowtorch applied to them for their attitude. And he thinks Payton's come in and tried to shake that up. And it's really just fallen totally flat. It's like he's tried to change so fast because the attitude probably was so poor that it's just created gigantic conflict. And they, I mean, the weekend, that could have been 70. It's a good segue to the next point I was going to raise. Yeah. It was a very poor round of football. Like, like exceptionally poor round of football. It, the disparity between the teams, people are blaming the six again. No, it's not that. It's not that. Other people on social media are saying, no, it's just that the poorly club runs it. Clubs are really poorly run. They're all playing under the same rules. That wasn't Peter Valandis' burner account on Twitter, was it? <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I can see both sides of the argument. What what the rules do is if there is a big disparity between talent levels and effort levels, then the rules create momentum for the better side that leads to blowouts. Yeah. When when the good teams are playing each other, we saw it with, with Melbourne Para the week bef- a couple of weeks ago. We saw it with the Melbourne Panthers game. They're very close. The new rules are fantastic for those teams, and the quality of the game is incredible. Yes. But it's just when the good teams are playing, and there's four or five of them, This is, this is and we're going to get to the Saints point. I can't work Saints out. Congratulations, Saints supporters. I might be wrong about your season this year, but you know I can't work because they haven't played. The teams they're playing have, have clearly regressed. Oh, yeah. Saints have gotten better. So, yes. You know, the, the Manly... Canterbury, North Queensland, Brisbane, those four teams are woeful. They're really, really terrible. I think I agree with the second point. I think what you said is it's shown up the disparity a lot more. And honestly, I think what's happened is the coaches that play the percentage percentages and don't attack and try to force the game are actually being found out for how limited they are. I'm sorry, but that's what I see. You say that, G, but the Warriors are playing a very, very defensive style of football this year, and they're hanging in these games. Well, they're hanging in a little bit more, but... No, but they're not, they're not getting toweled up the way... A lot of the problems with these teams are the defences. Like, the, even the Tigers against Para yesterday. Okay. Some of these teams are conceding six, five, six tries a game. Yeah. People only look at one side of the football. Sure, like you said to me over the weekend, we're going to read out your text stream when we get to oh, the dogs God. game. But it's meant to be private. Are you Google? That can look disjointed, but but defense, defense is effort. Defense is effort and communication. Yeah, there's a lot of issues with quite a few teams, but I think some of it is the coaching. I really do. I think psychologically they're not in the game. The effort level's not there because I think some of it is the coaches don't have a game plan to adjust to the new rules and they're struggling. I, re- I honestly think that. Look, man, he's terrible, but to be honest, like getting whipped by 40 every week, come on, man, they're not that bad. But they have played some good teams. Yeah, they've, they've had a shit draw that's the Eagles. <laughs> oh, God. I feel, I feel like it's a bit rough on them, right? They've got all these injuries. You, you've got only five players taking up like seven. Yeah, and they're the playing Penrith, and Melbourne. And you're playing Penrith, Melbourne. I mean, it's a bit rough. Oh, Jake, Jake could be in the Josh Jackson boat. I mean, he has played terribly this year. Anyway. I was reading an article about expansion, and Peter Valenti's just went to town on all the crap teams. People are like, do you have enough talent? He's like, no, the crap teams just don't know how to develop them, and they should look at the Roosters and the Storm and Penrith and see how they bring people into the game and develop them. I have. It's nothing to do with the rules, of course, because he made them probably by himself. Yeah. <laughs> but, Caesar um, never blames himself. No. 
But his point was kind of valid. It's like, spare me that there's not enough players because the shit teams basically are not good enough and they need to improve their game and improve their talent, spotting and development. That They look at the other teams that do it well. He was so dismissive of that fact. But... Basically, he doesn't care. Well, I mean, they've got to get another game in, right? If they want to increase the TV rights, they've got to get another game in. And they're not going to do that with one extra Brisbane team. So they actually do need to look at two teams. My personal view is I think the game's ready to look at some of these locations it gave up on 25 years ago. I don't think you set it on the eastern seaboard. The opportunity for the Central Coast Bears is gone now. Yes, it is. Your next logical, in my opinion, next logical is either another team in New Zealand or Perth. I think Perth, New Zealand and Brisbane are the probably three remaining places. To be honest, I would love it. I mean, you can't do it now with COVID, but I always thought, you know, the precursor to the PNG team playing in the Queensland Cup, they're obsessed with rugby league. So They are, but every single person in Papua New Guinea has got COVID at the moment. Yeah, I know. It's COVID's kind of, you know, throwing that out of, out of the window. But we talked about Bronson Zeri the other day, and he's been suspended for four years, but somehow he can still play for the NFL, which kind of explains why, yeah, yeah, they, the people that are that big and that strong and that muscly can move so fast. That's all I have to say about that. I didn't realise that either. They're not signed up to the World Anti-Doping Authority. No, for obvious reasons. I mean, you've even had superstars in there get busted for performance enhancement drugs and their suspensions, I think, four to six weeks. You know what? He's tall and he's incredibly fast and athletic and his acceleration's fantastic. I reckon, and he's, you know, being a footy player, he's going to have really good hands. I can see him actually maybe being like a wide receiver or a cornerback or something, you know. It'll take a bit of training, but he's kind of got the tools for it. Too hard. You've got to grow up playing the sport. I guess you're talking about walking into a level that's so elite where, you know, you've got the best of the best. So we'll have to see how that goes. So that's something to keep an eye on. Here's the issue with people doing that. I mean, it's very rare that an athlete can do that, right? You can't learn instinct. And that's what you miss out not growing up playing the sport. You miss out on instinct. Yeah, the instinct's not there. Is it to how, to how to juke a defender or give him a feint and move? There's elements that are similar, but there's so many things that are not. And, and even even think about it. Like, like, it's such a technical sport, NFL, particularly with the coaching and the plays. There are some plays that... If you've been playing it your whole life, you look up and you go, oh, I know what they're going to do there. Whereas for someone coming in from the outside, they can they need to roll through the roller decks in their mind and go, okay, it's that play. Definitely, yes. That you read about that, but that was the only other thing I had, to be honest. So, well, I, I did have I did have one thing before we move on to round one, which is the salary cap. I actually think the salary cap's doing its job at the moment. I think for the first time in a long time, the salary cap's doing its job. Why do I say that? Because because clubs are clubs are being forced to make decisions on people over thirty who want long term contracts like Adam Reynolds versus the young players coming through their own less money to fit into the salary cap. And whilst we're not having a sophisticated discussion about the salary cap in Australia and in New South Wales, the actual premise of the salary cap is now working properly. It is, and the reason why I agree with you is I think the amount has risen so fast that previously some of the clubs that could pay overs, that disparity isn't quite there anymore because almost any team can pay 800000 or a million dollars for their best player, right? Whereas before, you would have players players get third-party deals or whatever else was going on or you know rumored third-party deals where they'd get an extra two three hundred grand and now the salary cap's so big that the difference is it's leveled out and i agree with you it's actually start, you're starting to see the impact where people are having to make decisions and go you know what we're going to have a few young guys come through instead and we're going to have to let some of these guys go and i think it's it's definitely starting to work it can do better is i guess what we're saying but it's at least it's heading in the right direction i think on some of these things definitely is yes so let's, let's move on to the round four review. Um, we start off with a very tight game between two powerhouses in the comp. Is this Penrith and Manly? <laughs> Manly versus the Panthers. 
Uh, this game was a tight game, and the Panthers got up 46-6. to um, Manly have conceded 156 points in four games. That is 39 points a game. I know. That's unbelievable. Six and a half converted tries per game in defense. You know what stat I read? You're going to be surprised, right? Yeah. Being a Bulldogs fan... We haven't scored one point in three weeks, yet Manly are last because of four and against. Correct. Can you believe Manly's that? Manly's defense has been a sieve. It's been leaking, <laughs> wow. leaking like a sieve. The Panthers dominated through the middle. And again, the Panthers' left edge was unstoppable with Luai, Kikau, and Matt Burton slotted in there in the centers with Staines moving to fullback. And, and Toho on that on that left edge. And that manly right edge with DCE. DCE, he's like the wooden man. He's just there and he's just walking straight past him. Defensively, he's terrible. He was, and honestly, and I usually don't say this, he was an abomination in defense. But it's been going on for weeks. Oh. You just noticed it in the Panthers game. It's been going on for weeks. Panthers game, they deliberately targeted that side. They de- they've been deliberately targeting that side for four weeks. It's terrible. It it could be the worst edge in football. I mean, it's I mean now that they've moved Joey Leilua out of the left side on West Tigers, this the, the manly right edge could be the worst edge in football. He's falling off tackles. He's not even involved in the tackles. He's It's almost like he's... Carrying an injury. It's almost like he's carrying an injury, injury. or given up, or he doesn't really want to tackle and put his body on the line. I There's something not right. I mean, it's just a terrible right edge. It was 22-6 at halftime. Manly did have a good stint in the last eight minutes in the first half after Cade Cust went over from dummy half. You know, that was, that was really their only highlight from the game. Can I also say... The Panthers' first try was from a scrum, which you don't see in too many scrums anymore, but you do get a few tries from them. The Manly forwards didn't go forward, um, so the Panthers' forwards outran them by about 600 metres, 550 metres, and they only completed 29 of 37 sets versus the Panthers, who completed 34 of 40. So they couldn't keep the, the ball. Their forwards didn't go forward, and, and the Cade Cusk break for the try was their only line break, and the Panthers had nine. So that right edge is a real problem. Attacking-wise, it was poor. Um, Nathan Cleary was again great, um, and the left edge of the Panthers is again brilliant, but Manly missed 38 missed tackles. They had 38 missed tackles. I mean, it's just terrible. And that Manly right edge of Cherry Evans, Suli, and Saab, I don't know what you say about it, but, but there's something horribly, horribly wrong. And, and the last point I want to make on this game is Jake Trebovojevic is looking old and tired, and none of, none of his guys is working on the defense. So I don't know what's going on there quite. Maybe he's another one carrying an injury, but he, he's looking a bit like Josh Jackson, right? And a bit like Nathan Hindmarsh towards the end of his career. He's just looking a bit slower against the other teams. And his tricks aren't working. What do you say about this game? I think it was a bit of a tra- training run. I thought Penrith were quite, I suppose, clinical would be the word. And I could say they probably could have played a little bit better and they blew them away 44-6, right? 46-6, wasn't it? 46-6, yeah. So it was just so one, one-sided. one It was It's fun watching Luai play. I like Brian To'o. He's, you know, he's, he's bullocking. He steps in between players. He's, he's a good finisher. I think the one thing is Manly does have these periods, but then they just fall away. They can only maintain them for 10 or 15 minutes. The funny thing is, watching Dez coach the Bulldogs for so long, that is not... No, that's not the way Dez, that's not the way Dez wants to play. No, he doesn't. But the thing is, he his team plays... In spurts, right, with set plays. They're missing Trebojevic because they have no set play. And he's never, ever been a coach that promotes play what you see and actually, you know, offload and follow and back up the play. 
He's not that type of coach. He said that he's learned, but I have a feeling unless he changes the way he's operating, he's done. Gee, do you really think it's the attack? I mean, it's 39 points a game. I mean, it's not... But how much of it is... The defence is terrible, right? But how much of it is you, you can't even bother scoring a try half the time or you know you can't? I, I reckon... Here's my, here's my view. My view is the attack builds on the defence, not the other way around. The attack doesn't give confidence to your defence. Your defence gives confidence to your attack. I don't disagree with that, but I also think that sometimes if you let in a try, if you don't have faith that you can score or that you're going to be able to score a try, you lose that little bit of extra determination in defence, and I think it just becomes hard to turn up and just tackle every week. That requires a special type of mentality, right? I don't know if many players have that, to be honest. If I was Dez, I wouldn't even bother about the attack at the moment. No, but Jake Trebojevic, for example, he's yeah, okay, he's got silky ball skills, but who's he passing to? There's no one running with him. But are they that silky? I mean, he's, every dummy... I don't, he, no one's bought a dummy from Jake in over a year. Um, No. The, the one thing for the Panthers is they also got to try a few different things like they had Crichton at fullback then they shifted him to the wing later and put um, Charlie Staines back there Burton played in the centres and he did really well so you can kind of see that well the rumour is he's trying to the the rumour around town is that he's trying to get out of the contract with Canterbury to be honest if I were him there is absolutely no way I would go to Canterbury and watching Trent Barrett coach I wouldn't go anywhere near the place but you can see he can fit in anywhere I think Momorowski needs to learn how to pass sometimes. I like him as a player, but God, we he's can, like... We can send him to the oh, Longer Blake School. Longer Blake School of passing. His wing is open half the time, and he always throws the dummy and steps back inside. I think the other thing for Penrith that I took out of it, they're so hard to stop for a team whose defense isn't elite. They've got players that can run, pass, kick, offload, inside, outside balls. Isaiah Yo changes the point of attack, and then the halves switch to the same side. Cleary runs or passes or offloads or kicks, you know, and the try, I think what was a really, really important try for them, and I know it was against Manly, but the try that Leota scored where you had Isaiah Yo, Fisher Harris and Leota all combined through the middle through passing and offloads was a really good sign. They've got so much variety that when they're on, they are incredibly hard to stop. I think Crichton was only solid at the back, but... You can kind of see that's not really his position. But, you know, they got to try out a few things. Incredible, if you think about it. It was just too easy. It was too easy. But I, I think the other thing we've got to bear in mind is they've got the Warriors this week at Central. Uh, I think it's a Brookvale, actually. And if they don't show up and that game ends up being, you know, 24-6 or 28-6 or something like that, and they get towed up, that, that that's... Uh, where does the wins come from other than the bottom four? Like, they are now... You're almost riding off the season. You are. I think even if Trebojevic is there, I, Des Hasler, I've seen him coach for years. He plays the same style of football and relies on that fullback to bring that speed and to basically throw the defense out a little bit. Mate, he's got to change his coaching. Gee, gee I, I respectfully disagree, and I'll tell you why. Because their, their problem is defense. Tommy Trebojevic doesn't help with defense. It's not... No. I mean, he might get there in attack. He might... Okay, so instead of scoring zero tries a game or one try a game, you might score three. 44-20. Yeah, if you're conceding 39 <laughs> points, like, it's not it's not going to matter. They've been unlucky to meet the elite teams early, but, God, they're so far off, it's not fun. Like, and they're full strength, pretty much. Forwards are not no, going forward. No, and they're, they're edge struggling. Centers and wingers can't make a tackle, can't lay a tackle and can't read the play. I mean, it's just... it's They're gone. They're, I mean... They need to have a big performance against the Warriors. I think that's a stay-away game this weekend if you're a gambler. I could see Manly coming out really fired up, and they have had a tough draw, so you don't know what Manly shows up this weekend. If they get tailed up in the Warriors game, that's that's a real sign that, hey, we might actually just be better off blooding the youngsters for the rest of the season. Traditionally, with the Bulldogs, we're always... He runs plays heavy, and they're not always the fittest team in the comp. That's part of his being, right? 
I wonder if man, a man, they look fit, but are they as fit as some of these other teams? Because they seem to have spurts and then die off totally. They've lost weight. Losing weight and being fit, I suppose, are two different things. In, in the AFL, a few of the coaches have come out, and I think Chris Scott, the Geelong coach, on the last night actually just mentioned this. He said, um, the teams that played deep into the finals last year have come back relatively unfit this year because their preseason started late and it was a short preseason. And he said the teams that were eliminated and didn't make the finals, they've come in all guns ablazing because they've had more something more akin to a full off season. Yes. Yep. Now I don't think that applies to the NRL because Manly, the Bulldogs, the Cowboys, and the Broncos didn't make the semis last year. So God only knows what's going on in the NRL. So okay, let's move on. All right, guys. We're moving on oh, to the Good no. Friday games. No, I'm not going to talk. I'm, I don't want to say much about this. What you need to do is grab some ouzo because you're going to need something stronger this week. It can't be wine or beer or anything like that. And it can't be moonshine. whiskey. Whiskey's not. You need to get some moonshine. No, I'm saving the moonshine for next week. you got the Panthers. Oh, is it? Oh, great. So, a storm. So, so get some ouzo, rucker, get turpentine, whatever you need to do. Settle back. Turn the fireplace on. Sit in front of the couch. Get your decanter ready and get ready for... Bulldogs hour with G. The Bulldogs put in a spirited performance to only lose 38-0 to Souths. 16 points in four rounds. The first team since Balmain in 1974 to score less than 16 points or less in the first four rounds. Trent Barrett has made their attack and their defence worse. The attack is too structured. Block plays and forwards acting as hard. What is with the forwards being first and second receiver when you're in the red zone? I, I, I don't get that at all. Um, it wasn't helped by Lachlan Lewis and his HIA and missing that the rest of the matter. game. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But you had you had second rowers and props as first. I mean, it was it was quite an odd shape to the attack. Um, no bodies in motion. It's called NFI. No fucking ID. That's what's called. Well, listen, it's it's actually worse. It's actually worse than no bodies in motion because I watched the attack closely. You know how I spoke last year about Mitch Moses being predictable depending on which side of the ruck he was on? And the Parramatta attack became too structured down one side because Mitch Moses was there? Yeah. So, you know how you know what the tell is in the Bulldogs attack? The side the ball's not going to. So, if it's going to the right, the left edge is sitting there, is standing there with their hands on their knees. Yes, correct. That's <laughs> right. I mean, you've got to at least give the defence some idea that it might go left, right? So Watch the good teams and the whole team is in motion, not just the two or three guys that might get the ball, which means... Just hands on their hips and disinterested. Yeah. It means you can give a face ball. You can give a ball behind the runner. You can give a... It's... It just means they man up on that edge, right? Rather than lean towards the other side and slide that way. I mean, it's the worst start to the Bulldogs in 50 years since 1971. The game actually... I thought the game actually started tight. It did for 20 minutes. Yep. Yeah, for 20 minutes you were okay, and then you're forced into a reshuffle after Lachlan Lewis's HIA, um, and he got his head in a tough position there on Josh Mansour, and, and you had Sione Katoa move into the halves, and what you can learn after this game is Sione Katoa is not a half. You know what the scary thing is, G? I didn't think Souths were that good either. Although da- Damian Cook was great. He had two line breaks at 134 metres. Just on Damian Cook, in previous weeks, we've, we've said he hasn't been playing well. In t- 2018, he had seven games where he ran over 100 metres, really took the line on. This is only his third game since 2018 where he ran for over 100 metres. Damien Cook hasn't been in good form for a little while now. He did combine well with Cody Walker, who had two tries, and also his angry angry ant pants on. And, and can I also say that Adam Reynolds is running the ball a lot more, which which has added a dimension to his game and to the South's attack. So I think that Cody Walker, Adam Reynolds combining on the left edge with Luttrell is, is really, really great. And, and, and it's not something every team has got. So they were my observations on the game. Gee, I will... I would like to read out some texts, if that's okay. But you, you do your analysis first. The more worrying 
thing for me. It's not. It sounds weird, but the fact they haven't scored points, you can get a bit unlucky. The problem is they haven't looked like scoring, which is a whole different discussion. You know, like sometimes you look at the Titans game, there was some incredible defense by the Raiders on the line. They had their issues, but they looked like scoring. We did not look like... We haven't looked like scoring a try in three weeks. Gee, you haven't scored in over four hours of footy. You haven't scored a point. Haven't looked like scoring. You know what I'd do against the Panthers? I'd kick off. First set, you're down 50 meters. I'd kick a field goal. You're at the 30, field goal. (laughs) Get a point on the board. You know what? Just get a point, even if it's 6-1. It doesn't matter, right? 35 times we had the ball inside the South's 20 which is actually a lot, and didn't even look like scoring a try. Because you had forwards at first receiver. Where's your creativity going to come from? And the other side of the ruck standing still. How hard is this going to be for a first-grade defence to defend against? The, the attack was terrible. The attack's terrible. If you're going to have forwards passing the ball, you need more than one forward next to them running in motion. They are absolutely diabolical. They are horrendous. And, I mean, the Rabbitohs, I was watching the Rabbitohs, other than a few touches of class from Cody Walker and Damian Cook and Latrell Mitchell, they, it was like a preseason hit out. It's like they were playing a country well, team. I didn't think they were that good. I really didn't. They I, weren't. If they put their foot down, if they put their foot down, they could have put 60 on you guys. If this was South in the same mood as they were against the Roosters... The week before a semi and they 60. needed to win the game to finish top four, you, you, you would have conceded 60. It was 40 to six, 40 to nil. Right? And South well, it was weren't 38, that good. 38, wasn't it? Oh, whatever. 38 to nil, and South were not that good. It was like a preseason hit out. I think one thing, there's a few things I picked up. I think what was really good to see is the way concussions are now being treated. Like when Lachlan Lewis hit his head, I thought what was really good was you, you saw three or four South players all rush to him and try to stop him from getting back in the line. I tell you what wasn't good, the Bulldogs trainer leaving him on there. Oh, that's because he passed the assessments apparently, but anyway. No, he didn't. They didn't even give him a bloody assessment. I mean, that is ridiculous. Of course. Blind Freddy could have seen he needed to come off there. It did. You've got a duty of care to these players. And you know what I'm worried about? It's like Ryan Madison, Lachlan Lewis, and we're going to talk about Jake Friend retiring soon, but Luke Keary, they've got a susceptibility. Boyd Cordner, they've got a susceptibility. They keep getting knocked out. And unless you've got a duty of care to these players, it's, it's... I worry for what the end of their life looks like. There's a couple of players that do seem ultra um, susceptible to this kind of thing. But I think what was good to see is that the South players, the concern they showed, they rushed over straight away, tried to hold him up, stop him from going. So you can see that the players are starting to like really take note of the concussion thing as well, which is great. The thing is with Canterbury is their attack is so pedestrian. It's like they're playing against like you say, wooden cardboard cutouts. The problem is that the ones they play on on a Sunday are actually moving and tackling them at the same time. So it's 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 hard to beat. But gee, this is not this is not. You don't fix this in a week. I mean, this is not a one week fix. I mean, that they were won't get fixed. Even even their defense wasn't good. Gee, even their defense wasn't good. I mean, it's just it's just. Uh, I mean, sorry, buddy, but they, I think they're a terrible, terrible team. It won't get fixed. They are absolutely horrible they they throw nothing at the defense it's literally one out running and a couple of bombs and hoping they get lucky they have if Trent Barrett had anything to do with the Panthers attack I don't know what the hell I'm watching but it's not what's happening at the Bulldogs he has been and the fact is I think he's actually throwing the players under the bus a little bit at times where he's saying oh they haven't stuck to the game plan yes they have they've run one out tried to kick for field position and then somehow get lucky and score a try through a set play. 
That's it. Wasn't that what Dean Pay tried to do? Pretty much. The players just were a bit fatter. <laughs> I mean, the one time our fastest player, again, Nick Meany, towards the end, he got the ball actually coming in from fullback, stepped the guy. Poor guy gets his ribs broken with a massive hit from the, uh, Mitchell. So, but that was the only time I remember him even touching the ball, like at speed, coming in from the back. Like, you watch all the good teams, their fullbacks are in the game all the time. So, can I ask you a question? If Lachlan Lewis gets HIA and, you, and Sione Katoni, who's clearly not a half, gets moved there, why didn't Nick Meany play up in the line a bit more? Because Trent Barrett, even with Corey Allen back there, Corey Allen was anonymous in the first two games. He's obviously the fullback. Injury reshuffle, right? No one plans for their halves to get hurt during a game. So, so, And what you ended up with was you know, your plan B was the forwards who've done 150 metres of running and 40 tackles and all this work. You've got them ball playing in the opposition 20? That works if you've got everyone in motion and you throw different looks at the defence. He has, look, he has no idea at the moment. You don't have James Graham. You don't have James Graham. Like, it's only a few players that can do that in the forward, forwards, Even, right? Look, so. Nick, Nick, Kotrick, Nick Kotrick has been a disaster to the point where Corey Allen has been moved into a centre. He's been moved back to the wing because he actually is a winger. Body's moving too fast for his brain. His brain's like, I think I should kick the ball on inside on a grubber and his body's like already kicking the ball before the ball's even dropped to his foot. He's... I don't know how he's in first grade other than running over people, but his coordination is terrible. So here's, here's, here's some messages I got from an anonymous Bulldog Hang on, supporter. I haven't finished here, right? Damian oh, Cook, keep going, keep going. Damien Cook, okay, the first try, he goes through and steps past four defenders all watching and creating a hole. Like, it wasn't like he, he, he just stepped past lazy defense and went straight through. The second one, Dean Britt ran into his teammate and knocked his teammate down and created a hole for Damien Cook to run through. <laughs> Kotrick, I've been incredibly disappointed by. He's been dreadful. And I do feel for him because he's not a centre, but you've got to use the talent you got. And I think Trent Barrett has no idea. The one thing that was a little bit of a positive was Katoa, Tuipiluru Katoa, the new winger. He's one angry winger. He's, any fight or scuffle there was in, he was there somehow. <laughs> if it wasn't near the wing, you see this number five come out of nowhere. So at least he's passionate. Nick Meany, I wish he was at a better club. I actually think he's got some talent. He's got pace and evasiveness, and the problem is the poor guy is in a team that hasn't used him properly in three years, and he's in a club that's a total shambles. So I think if he was at a different side, he'd look a lot better than people think he's. Can I ask you a question about that? Is it too late for him now? If you've been in that Bulldog system, because they've been woeful for a little while now, if you've been in that system, have you picked up habits now that are too hard to untrain? You know, it's a good question. Because sometimes you see that with certain players where they have the ability and the talent, they've been coached so poorly and underutilized or their confidence isn't quite there. Honestly, they never get it back. Oh, you know where I'm at with the Bulldogs? You know where I'm at? I, I think you almost throw away the whole first grade squad and you, and you go to the juniors. You do what Pen- Penrith did with Phil Gould. And, and, and so, sure, it's a longer term thing. Sure, it's eight years instead of five. But I, I just think you're, you're almost at that point. These guys have been playing like this for a few seasons now and I think it's oh, now it's been a long time it's four or five seasons right so I think what what is been missing is Aiden Tolman doing everybody's buddy tackling in the middle of the field I think that's actually showing up yeah because they've got more athletic props and guess what they're getting carved apart every single week so Hetherington right that wasn't a crusher tackle the guy was trying to score and he tried to stop a try it wasn't a deliberate movement at all I can understand the penalty that's fine but to be cited for that he missed a shoulder charge and was always going to get suspended, this guy, anyway. But how do you get penalised for something you don't even didn't even do? Can I can I just say, thank God he missed the shoulder charge. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Oh, my God. If he had connected on the shoulder charge, there'd be a person like an astronaut in space at the moment. I, I, in a way, I sort of get the ref to sort of even give him a running you know, commentary and say, hey, 
tone it down a little bit. You, you, you're getting close. If you let that go, like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I'll be like, I, I get it. I know you. I know you shouldn't. I hear what you're saying, and I, if it was my team, I'd probably agree with you. But then I go, if you're the ref, you can't let that he came from orbit <laughs> trying to get that shot. In. I think if the ref didn't um, penalize penalize him, we would have only lost thirty two nil. So because that would have wasted the extra few seconds when Adam Reynolds got his try. No positives. I mean, the fact is, say you're Jake Averillo, I think the only positive is he might go back to fullback this week, which I think is his best spot at the moment. But the way that Trent Barrett's been utilising his fullbacks, it's like being goalkeeper in the under-8s. You just sort of sit there and pick the grass. I don't know. I'm just... I cannot believe how bad they've been. Like, I honestly cannot believe it. They've been awful. You tipped them for 11th. That was incredibly optimistic. I think... I did say last week, I think we're coming last. I, I was blown away by your 11th pick. I mean... Every season you think you're being realistic on the doggies. I, I, I don't think you're... I think you're underestimating... You're looking at it as a fan. I think you're underestimating the problems at the club. I've firmly moved back into the reality space. Don't you worry. We're coming last. Yeah, but I, but I don't think it's just last this year. I don't think it's last... I, I think you're in a full-on rebuild. You're, you're, you're like an NBA team. You need to tank. You need to get all these juniors in. But do you know, the more I watch, if I am a an official at the club for example if i see the same stuff from trent barrett in six seven weeks time you know what i'd can him how many years of the contract it's three years isn't it three years i don't care because with dean pay the patterns show up all the time t right so who do you bring in who do you bring in look that's a whole different matter other than um you probably want to bring the guide back to belmore jimmy dimmy but oh because he's doing such a good job with the titans fantastic attack at the moment. but no, but it's more, I'm not really sure because there seems to be a lot of the same same floating around, to be honest, in the league. The issue I've got is Dean Pay had the same style of play every single week and because they won at the end of the season, it gave people false ideas of where the team was truly at. And I'm seeing the same thing from Trent Barrett. There's no improvement. The players, yes, they've lost weight. They don't pass. They're running one out. They're apparently following some kind of game plan which hasn't scored a point or even looked like scoring a point in four weeks. If that continues... That means that's the way he's coaching, and I'd punt him because it's not going to change. He's yeah, but you need to have a plan. Who do you bring in? But this is the thing: they buy better players, and then the system looks better purely just because of the talent. But really, he's still a crap coach. Nothing's changed. You know who I would have got? You know who I would have got instead of Trent Barrett? Who? If I was the Bulldogs, I would have got Nathan Brown. Probably, yeah. I would have gone for a complete rebuild. You guys are trying to... I don't know what you're trying to do, actually. You, you buy these bits and pieces. You bought 12 second rowers. Your recruitment's terrible. Actually, just terrible. Yeah, it? the recruitment and talent... Talent identification. T- like- talent identification at youth level is terrible. And and if, even if it was good, they're coming into a system that looks poor. Yeah, it is. And so you, you just need a grounds-up review. And Nathan Brown won't win you a premiership. But what, what Nathan Brown will do is, he'll like he did at the Knights, he can, be, he can build youngsters into first graders. That's right. And what I've watched from the Bulldogs is the system. Or Brian right. Smith's another one, if he was willing to come out of retirement. Took the words right out of my mouth. I would actually get Brian Smith as some kind of coaching director. Everywhere he's gone, he has his faults. He's not again. He's not going to win a premiership for you, but he builds every club up and it develops. He builds players. every club up and probably the most technically proficient coach of the last forty years in terms of X's and O's. Motivationally, he's not there, and he plays mind games. And there's you know nobody's perfect. But those Saints teams that made the grand final in ninety two and ninety three, if you go back that long, even some of the para teams they mate, weren't that they good, were... mate. They weren't that good. Para teams were good. The para teams underperformed. No, the para teams played well. But if you look at some of the personnel in comparison to some of the other teams, you know what? He took rejects from other teams and made them a lot better, which to me is good coaching. My worry with Barrett is, you know what? If your talent's not great, you're not going to win. That's fine. But he's not even playing, utilizing his talent to the best of their ability, which means 
that's a coaching problem. So I'm not even going to read the text message out because you've come in off a long run up, Jason Hetherington style. And, and instead of missing with the shoulder charge, you've absolutely connected. So well done, everyone. You, you'd probably, you're probably halfway through the bottle of, of Uzo by now. The way I see it, like I said to you, you've got players that have some ability, regardless, right? They're not going to be good enough to win a lot of games, but they absolutely look diabolical and they look like a reserve-grade team. So that means you're not coaching the players you have properly, and that's a problem. And if that's happening after 20 weeks, that means you have no idea and you need to go because it's not going to change next year just because you have better players. They might win you a couple of extra games because you've got greater talent because that's just how things work. But you're still not going to ever use the talent properly. The forwards are passing the ball, yeah. But the thing is, there's no one backing up. There's it's not even support. It's structurally incorrect. If you've got forwards like Jack, like Junior Paulo that are three passes out wide and can shoot a pass, cut out pass, or you've got a forward that's holding up in the tackle and offloading, they're the types of passes you want from forwards. When you're giving the ball to your forwards is you've been tackled at the 15 metre mark, you've reset it up through the centre of the field, and they're the first receiver, the right or left edge, expected to kick and make the play. That is not where you want your forwards passing the ball. He thinks he's got Isaiah Yo. He forgets that a Penrith are fast and incredibly athletic and skillful across the whole team. And young and coordinated and enthusiastic and 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 they've played together and they they have a you know this connection with each other. They know where they're going to be. You don't build that up in six weeks of preseason and four games. But like I said to you, right? He's got some players and he's utilised all of them badly so far, which means he has no idea what he's doing. And I'm very. Do you know what? Maybe the 30% win rate of Trent Barrett is who Trent Barrett really is, and that's that's what's showing up now. You know what? He's lucky he's in part of these former Origin greats bullshit because him, like Dean Pay, they get no criticism from any of the media at all, which I find very interesting. Yeah, the media is terrible in Australia. Like if you're, you're their mate, they let you go. Okay, let's let's move on to the last uh, the last game on the Friday night, uh, the Storm versus the Broncos. Uh, this was 40 to six win for the Storm. It was down in Melbourne. Melbourne started well, but a Justin Olam mistake on the left edge was picked up by Neu, who gave the ball to Dearden, who gave it to Xavier Coates, who, out, who outran the Fox for, for 80 metres to score. Brilliant football. Good hands, backing up. Good hands, yeah. There's something there for the Broncos. There's signs, yeah. They've got things. They have some talent. In fairness to the Broncos, they then dominated the next 20 minutes unt- yeah. until the Josh Addo car break and a mix, and a, the one-on-one missed tackle by Coates. That was bad. Nah, you know what? That's Addo Carr's acceleration, mate. No one else can do that. With that amount of space... To create that separation, there's no one in the comp that can do that except him. No, but he didn't create separation. Coates just missed the tackle. If you have a look back, it wasn't it was he didn't out running around the outside. He just missed the tackle. It was over his right shoulder with the touch line there. He missed him. No, Tim, I think he gave him more room than he thought. I don't think there was any room he could there. afford. Okay, I disagree. I think he missed the tackle, and I think Josh Adokar was good enough to go on with it. And, and, and Xavier Coates is is also tall, but he's also thin. I'm not. He's not like a big. Marco Marco Sivo type of winger, so he does he, he can drop off in contact sometimes. So he's lanky. Resulted yeah, resulted in Ryan Pappenhausen scoring. And this is this is what happens to the Broncos, right? As soon as there's a bit of adversity, they capitulate, particularly on second phase play through the middle. Like like they don't wrap up the ball when they're tackling. So when their heads drop, all this second phase play with 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 these offloads through the middle, right? And Nelson Asofa Solomona had a couple of offloads through the middle, and Ryan Pappenhausen scored four tries in eleven minutes. And and he then he converted them and he had twenty and it was Ryan Pappenhausen twenty four at halftime the Broncos six now the Ryan Pap- Pappenhausen in eleven minutes scored more points in eleven minutes than the Broncos have all season and then the Bulldogs have all season oh, very, yeah yeah fair enough um in in the in the first half there were nineteen missed tackles for the Broncos and seven for the Storm what disappointed me most about that that last second minutes of the first 
half for the Broncos was Kevy played Payne Haas 40 minutes. He played him the whole first half again. Now, that's exactly what Anthony Seabold was doing. So, I mean, you're going to shorten his career. You're doing the Jason Tomalolo thing on him. I mean, these, these guys get tired. I don't get it. I don't get it, right? And, and like, you know you're not going to win the comp this year. So, surely you're, you're doing the right things to make sure that they're all going to come good in a couple of years at the same time. This is this this reeks of short-termism at the expense of the medium and long-term. Anyway, they went on with the Melbourne went on with it in the second half, twice getting around the Broncos' left edge through George Jennings, and then a razzle-dazzle try from Cam Munster. He looked like a footy fo- football player. Yeah, was that fantastic. Maradona, mate? How good yeah, was, it was that? fantastic. That was a great try. Um, I thought, you know, Anthony Milford's copying a lot of criticism. I think he's actually been better this season, and I think his kicking game was good. He's a lot better this season. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, the time to criticise him was last year. He was terrible last year. And and Payne asked, I thought, returned with a good good performance, but it was Ryan Pappenhausen's night. Let me give you some stats on Ryan Pappenhausen's performance. Four tries. Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a god. I love him. 25 runs for 292 metres. 10 tackle busts, two line breaks, one line break assist, and three offloads. And we're getting a cameo performance by G's Cat. The Xavier, Xavier coach try was a great great footy. There were some great tries in this see, game. Great tries yeah, you, in this game. You could see the confidence from the Broncos. But like you said, as soon as Melbourne got back in the game, they just sort of fell apart. Part of it, I think, because they're so young, they, they, they ride the highs and lows of when things are going their way, they... They become more confident. They start to play a bit more football. And then when things are going against them, they don't really know how to do all the nitty-gritty stuff until they sort of find their feet back in the game. They almost just sort of give up for a period of time. I mean, Melbourne was really rusty, and part of the Broncos' hustle and bustle in defence was pretty good. I think they bustled them out of their timing a little bit at the start. You know, and like you say, they were in the game for quite a long time. But then, you know, like I said, probably my favourite fullback in the comp, or one of them, Pappenhuysen. No, he is your favourite. He is your favourite. I love it because he's small. My comb-over stands right up on top yeah, of my head. Yeah, is that your comb-over? Is it okay? Yeah, it is. You know, just watching him anticipate... And the thing is, it's old-school football. It's basically watching the play, anticipating what's going on, and being there in support. If you go back and watch 90s football, 80s football, it's a bit slower, granted, right? But that's what all the fullbacks and the players did. There was always, if there was a break, they're looking at the break and they're always there in support anticipating the play. Yeah, but it wasn't the fullback backing up often. It was the 5'8", usually. Terry Lamb and Brett Kenny. The game's changed. The game's changed. That around the back, second to the ball, supporting through the middle, was a 5'8 roll in the 80s. Yep. Generally, in the 90s, you got a lot more of the fullback backing up at times. But his anticipation and just... God, like like you say, twenty four. It basically was Pappenhuysen twenty four six in like fourteen. You know minutes. who changed the, the the support play that doesn't get enough credit? I reckon for fullbacks. I, I know Billy Billy Slater's the best fullback I've ever seen. But is he is Pappenhuysen better than Billy Slater? No, I'm not even close. He needs to do it for a long time to be better yes, than Billy Slater. Yes, but same results so far. Bill, yeah, okay, but Billy Slater did it for like twelve years. I know. Right? So I yeah, agree. so yes. David Peachy. Oh, he was just silky smooth. Carl, he was the first was one to consistently player. back up through. That's right. He was that prototype. He was the missing link that converting the old school very fullbacks underrated. To fullbacks. And look, uh, you know, lucky being a Bulldogs fan, I'll tell you who was crap at everything bar backing up. I don't know if you remember Scott Wilson. I do remember Scott Wilson. You know, if you go back and watch old highlights, what you notice is he couldn't tackle at all. Zero. He was like the Luke Bird of fullbacks in the nineties, right? <laughs> the, the one arm. Ever a break. All you'd see is him come out of nowhere and he'd always be a number support, which was actually an incredible strength of his. The Broncos, I think they've got, there's things happening. Like you say, I think they're a bit better. There's some decent signs, but they need to sort out their confidence issue where if things go against them, they can't just drop their bundle, so to speak. 
But I don't necessarily think it's an attitude thing this year. I just think they... But Melbourne, I mean, far out. Some of the tries, the last try. Pappenheisen, two try assists, four tries. And then Munster, a one, deliberate One try dribble. assist. One try assist, yeah. Well, he gave the pass to um, Robert Jennings in the corner. Yeah. And then also the flick to Man- Munster. Well, that didn't count, did it? No. Oh, okay. Well, Munster, and Munster's deliberate dribble. It wasn't even a kick. He, like, he actually dribbled the football around the guy. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was great. And and he could have overkicked it. He could have overkicked it, right? He actually dribbled the football around him. How about the... The play at the end where Brisbane scored, where they kind of had that run around and wrap around with a, a few numbers disguising what was happening. Doesn't that remind you of those old 80s sort of para plays where they used to have the tap and they'd have like seven people and no one knew where the ball was going? That's kind of what it looked like, right? My, my view is a lot of those types of plays will come back into the game now that it's not as structured. Yes, I agree. I'm starting to see a little bit more of that. But look, you can see there's a disparity, but you watch Melbourne play there's always four or five runners and options. And what they do really well is they create indecision like Penrith. Sometimes, like you say, it's a face ball. Sometimes it goes behind the runner. Sometimes there's a kick. So even though they run the same lines at you, you actually don't really know where the ball is going. And that's what makes them so fantastic. And their enthusiasm and backing up. But yeah, way too good. A few positive signs for the Broncos, but... So let me ask you a question about Kevy. Let me ask you a question about Kevy. He named Brody Croft all week and then three hours before kickoff changed it to Tom Dearden. Changed the winning halfback because they won last week in, in the world's worst game against the Dogs. There's a couple of points I'm going to make here. Is Kevy the man for the job? Changing your halfback like that is an odd thing to do unless Tom Dearden knew all week he was playing and Kevy was playing ducks and drakes with the media. Very, very strong element that it's the latter. If it isn't, I think when you start doing that, any coach that does that... Well, you kind of destroy Brody Croft in the process. That's the issue. You, go, you won last week and you're training at halfback all week and then three hours before kickoff, you're not good enough, mate, you're playing. You read a lot of, test, I guess, comments from ex-players that used to play under those type of regimes and they used to say that it was, it'd keep you on edge but it would create a bit of anxiety because you never knew whether you were in or out of the team. So you actually start playing... You're treading on eggshells when you're playing. You're scared to make a mistake because you don't know if you're going to be dropped next week. It doesn't give them that confidence all the time to just go out and say they know they're going to play and they can ride out bad form or anything like that. I think he's gotten the job because there's been a groundswell of support from former Broncos and you know people that are influential around the place to get him the job. Whether he's the right person for the job, the fact that he starts talking about making the semis and stuff... I think this year all he needs to focus on is improvement. And look, early signs still, but if he's tinkering around and playing Payne Haas 40 minutes and trying to win every game, I don't know if he's realistic as to where they're at. And if that's not the case, I don't know if he's going to survive that long. I might I go just, I just think it's a different beast. Origin and rep footy. Like Mal Meninga was a terrible, terrible club coach. You know, he presided over the winningest era in state of origin right i think it's a completely different beast coasting coaching origin versus club footy you saw it last year like freddie with all his stuff and i love freddie but wayne bennett just went in there and went bang like it's a different level of coaching in origin right and that they, they had no right to win that queensland no but i do think say freddie is more suited to a, a state of origin type of style than week to week grind of football right i love well, is kevy the same a- though I don't know. It's possible, but I think we might be finding that out in the next few weeks because they have some positive signs. There's a bit of improvement, but he's got to be patient, right? They're not going to make the eight. They're going to get nowhere near it. Let's be honest. How realistic is he? And I think that'll show up in the next eight to 10 weeks. The other thing was I was going to... The one thing I wanted to bring up, though, is... God, you know, watching Melbourne play at double AMI Stadium, 
you know what's a shame? That should be practically packed out every week. And I know I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but honestly, the NRL, in terms of promoting Melbourne in Melbourne, have done a disgraceful job in the last 20 years. Those games should at least have 25,000 every week. They've won just about every single year. They never lose. You've got the Melbourne versus Sydney thing, or Victoria versus New South Wales. Are they... But what's the what's the crowd? Is the crowd restriction still on in Victoria? But either way, like we even prior to the crowd restrictions, the crowds weren't that big anyway. They they basically had the same crowds as they had when they first came into the comp, fourteen thousand or fifteen thousand. They should be almost getting a full house every week. The the NRL haven't published the the crowd figures either. I think I think they I think there's still some rules around that in Melbourne. Yep. But either way, like it's just something that's come to mind, and it's been over a number of years. It's more a bugbear that I just think they could have done such a better job of promoting the storm in Melbourne. We've just got a request through from some of our fans. They prefer you to save this passion for Bulldogs. Oh, that passion's disappeared. Moving on to not-so-super Saturday. Sharks-Cowboys. The Sharks-Cowboys. I mean, this was a disgraceful round of footy, really. Oh, let me read you my nine not my nine sentences on the Sharks versus Cowboys. Well, you know what the best thing about this game was? Cogra baked in sunshine looked really nice. <laughs> That's about it. How big was the crowd? Was there 400 people there watching this game? Oh my God, there was no one there. Sharks versus Cowboys. Sharks got up 48-10. The Sharks completely dominated this game in an eight tries to two performance. And even the Cowboys early try was off a Sharks mistake where the hammer went the length of the field. That was that was it. That was the sum of their how attack. About, how about all the Sharks chases though? It's like, oh, the hammer's got the ball stuff it. You know what? We're not chasing him. Well, because they knew they were going to put another 15 tries on them. Yeah, so even more impressive was their right edge was completely reshuffled with Josh Dugan going off with a HIA after a head clash with Justin O'Neill and Mulatalo with a leg injury. So after that, the Sharks just dominated possession and territory and Chad Townsend and Will Kennedy were brilliant and combined well. It's controversial to say the Cowboys really looked like they weren't having a dig. I mean, that's, I'm not even going to go into the stats. They just didn't look like they were having a dig. Don't need to talk about game. the stats. This is pretty much the eye test game, totally. I mean, I don't know what there's I was no, thinking. There's, there's no stats to analyse. They were terrible. No. They just didn't... It was all effort. All the effort plays were missing. All the one percenters were missing in this game for the Cowboys. The, sh- the Sharks and, scored 48, and honestly... Would you say they were overly dominant? They dominated for just tiny periods of the game. They did what they had to do, yeah. Yeah, kind of, right? The rest of the game, they did what they had to do. I mean, my notes basically were... There's a couple of good things for the Sharks. I know it's the Cowboys, but I think the forced move of Connor Tracy to the centres... Yeah, it's working well. He actually, it's working really well. He's actually playing really well. And their defence has been really good this year, the Sharks. Really good. Particularly on the goal line, they've been really desperate. Good attitude in defence. I think Connor Tracy on the fringe, he's he's explosive at times and he's got good hands being an ex-half, right? So he could put away his winger pretty easily. So I thought that is a good sign. Can we get him to can we get him to coach Wonga Blake? It's probably not a bad idea. Um bad Paul Momorowski. The one the one thing that I'll I will add is William Kennedy is growing more and more. He's getting more confident. You can see it. And now he's starting to impose himself on the game a little bit more. And he's silky smooth. He's got good ball skills. His try at the end, the try to Harati and then backing up was... He took it right to the line and created the space for him and then backed up and was too far. So I thought he, he played really well and dominated the game, which is a good sign for the Sharks because you need that against the good teams. Other than that, I mean, the one thing with the Cowboys is individually people will make a good tackle or someone will run and someone, you know, makes an individually desperate play. That's one thing I noticed. But as a team, that's not happening at all. They're not in it together. And to be honest, with players sniping at each other in the media, constantly some of the veterans sniping at other players, and we're not having a dig, and we're not having a go, 
and it looks like they've lost the dressing room. I mean, 48 to 10. Mate, it was 12-6 with 12 minutes to go in the in the half, first half. Yeah. And the halftime score was 36-6. to They scored 24 points in basically 10 minutes. Minutes before halftime, yeah. They just, just, they just, the effort plays weren't there. No, and they scored a couple of tries halfway through the second half, and if they really put their... Well, I mean, down, I don't even think that second half. The game was over at halftime. No, it was these games, you, could have, you could have switched all these games off at halftime, right? So it was just a training run. I mean, where to now for the Cowboys? What happens with Todd Payton? And he's clearly fallen out with Tom Alolo and Val Holmes and a lot of the senior players there. So he's he's another one who signed a three-year contract. I mean, it's it's almost untenable, isn't it? Oh, it's getting there. I think you're going to find if he has fallen out with the players, something's got to give. Or he drops those players. But then, like we talk, talked about the other week, like what do you do when you're dropping your million-dollar-a-year players? Well, he's still got five and a half years to run on the contract. It's... It's five five point five million. You can't you can't get rid of him unless someone's willing to pick up the contract or see, con- contribute significantly to it. And he's out at the moment. He didn't play on the weekend. We should be, we should also mention that. But but it's it's a it's a real problem. What about Val Holmes, G? What about Val Holmes? I think Val Holmes is typical of the Cowboys over the last three years. He's all basically hype and no substance anymore. He's average he's got elements here and there and look i don't know if it's falling out with the coach but there seems to be elements where he shows a bit of skill here and there but honestly you're looking for val holmes from four or five years ago the guy that had great acceleration and the footwork and it's almost like he's still got some of it he's still got some of his footwork but it's not enough to beat the defense anymore so you can't pay guys like that 800 grand and be your star player when really he's just solid. I mean, that's hard, right? Yeah, I agree. But it's going to get worse before it gets better, right? Irrespective of the draw, they, they it's it's going to it is going to get worse before it gets better because there's talk that Jake Clifford's going to go to Newcastle with Mitch Pearce injured, that he's going to go down to Newcastle to help fill that role in. Blake Green can't play 80 minutes; he's 135 years old. You know, if that happens and Michael Morgan gets medically retired, then it's Scotty Drinkwater running the show in the halves, right? Things aren't right there. I think that's a very much a wait and see, but it looks like, I mean, look, a training run and the Sharks scored 50 on him, basically. He's lost the dressing room in the hammer. You've got to play him at fullback on the wing defensively with the inside. Like, they were all over the place. They didn't know what was going on. And the only other positive, I think, like I said, there's a few positives for the Sharks, like you say. But Chad Townsend's goal kicking was superb. Well, he did, yeah. He kicked really well. You know, a few beers from the Shire Brewery company that he owns beforehand settled the nerves. And um, yeah, but his goal kicking was sensational. I think he's been. I think he's been quite good. You know, he's he actually was really good in that game. But again, it was like a training run. They're picking their spots. And so here's my theory. I think you got to write off any form line you draw against those bottom four teams in the comp. You do. It's too hard to tell. Those games you can easily win twenty to eight. Where you can blow them out 48 to... I mean, look, you're talking about a 48 to 10 performance where you think the Sharks didn't play that well. You're talking about Souths beating the the Bulldogs 38 nil, not playing that well. Like, it's... it's You're talking about the Panthers beating Manly 46 to 6 and trying stuff out on the field and people in different positions. It's just, I don't know. It's just crazy. It's just... The, the comp's not in a good place at the moment. Having said that, I think the semis will be quite good because then you're down to the eight teams and I think they'll be quite good. Okay, so... The second game in Not So Super Saturday, well, there's only two games. The second game was the Titans versus Raiders. Uh, the Raiders got up 20-4 to four in this game. Finally, a game of footy with a margin under 34 points. So that was good to see a try, a game that had a scoreline under six tries. The Titans had enough chances to win it. 36 tackles inside the opposition 20 versus 16 from the Raiders. They forced two dropouts, and the Raiders missed 34 tackles. Now, normally when I read you stats like that, it's on the losing team. So in that case, in this instance, it was the winning team. Can I just also say, despite this 
36 tackles inside the opposition 20. They didn't look like scoring. Their attack was terrible. Jim Dimmick has work to do. I mean, it wasn't... Anthony Don got tackled a couple of... It just, it just didn't... It lacked fluidity. I mean, it didn't look great at all. Canberra scored three tries, but their attack didn't look great either and lacked punch. But their goal line defence was really good. Um, Jared Croker equaled Joey in fourth place on the all-time points ladder with 2,176 points. He's still got a bit to go to catch Cam Smith, who's the leader, 2,786 points. But congratulations to Jared Croker. And Jordan Rapana equaled Mal Meninga in fifth place in the all-time Raiders try-scoring list. And he's, he's got quite a bit to do to catch up to Jared Croker, who's got 132 and counting. Um, the, the Titans ended up losing Anthony Don with a hip injury and Jamal Fogarty with a quad in the second half. And, and can I just say, Papa Lee, Ryan James and Sutton targeted Fogarty during that game. A bit like DCE. Now, Fogarty's organisational skills, and when the attack's working, he's, he's a net positive for the Tigers. But when their attack's not working, he's a complete liability on the field because he missed another seven tackles. He just He's a, he's a turnstile in defence. So for him to be a net positive, he needs to be laying on two or three tries a game. That it's as simple as that. Because otherwise, otherwise he's too big a liability. His net position on the field is minus two or three tries. So the the other thing that I saw in this game that I that I really rated a couple more things. Um, Tino's first half was fantastic. The Gold Coast. He has been. He he may be the buy of the season for for mine. Let me read you his first half. Forty. He played the whole first half. One hundred and twenty eight meters in the first half alone, and finished with over 200 metres and seven tackle busts in a, in a losing side. Just this tremendous player. And, and Melbourne must be a bit dirty on losing him. Imagine Melbourne with him there still. I mean, it'd just be, uh, it'd be unbelievable, right? And, and, and no one ever talks about him, but I actually think he is one of the premier fullbacks in the comp. Charles Nickel Klockstad, Klockstad was, again, great for the Raiders, and he's consistent every week. Sure, sometimes he drops a high ball here and there, but he's so aggressive, so tough. Um, he ran for 270 metres and had six tackle brusts. He's strong, he's fast, he's courageous. I just think he's a great player. Very good overall with everything. Yeah, correct. And, and, and whilst this was a closer game, 16 points, it wasn't a high-quality game at all. And the Titans attack for mine, if they want to make the top eight, they need to find a way to get over the line. I think they'll make the top eight because they're a lot better than some of the crappy teams, really. I agree with you. I, the way My notes are basically the Raiders were professional. They were solid. They were solid in attack. A bit, little bits of brilliance. They were desperate in defense, solid in defense. And the, the game was there for the Titans to win. And their attack was a little bit too predictable, which is surprising, right? So the Rapana trial was brilliant. The pass, the offload, you know, following through. And then Croker actually heading out towards the wing and creating space for Rapana who cut inside. That's the instinct, the football instinct. Great try. Have a look at that try. You could see Jared Croker's... Battery levels. How slow is Jared Croker? He Have a slowed look at down. That. Oh my god! It was his battery old. levels were going. It was like Nintendo. Hmm. Yeah, basically, he's um, <laughs> ET's rugby league on the Amiga. He's running. He's running out. League. He's you know, he, he used to be fast. They say he's got hasn't got that top end speed anymore. But you can see him create the space. And Mate, I reckon. I reckon we're a show at beating him over hundred meters. If that's any. If that's any. Uh, indication he, he, have a look at it have a look how my how slow he was going you know like you say i think nickel clockstad pulled off two fantastic try savers just great at everything i just think he's a he's a great fullback i don't think ricky yeah. would swap him for anyone i mean you're talking no. about rts and i just don't think he would and he was the understudy to rts and now rts is going to rugby yeah if you were the warriors if you were the warriors wouldn't you find a way to have if you've got Nickel Klockstad in your system, wouldn't you find a way to get him into the side, whatever the position is? I think sometimes retention decisions aren't made on 
talent. Sometimes they're questionable. And one thing I've always liked about Ricky Stewart, I mean, look, he's got his faults as a coach, always has, but he seems to be able to pick talent and also get players to come to his club. He's always been good at that for whatever reason or what he does. No one really talks about it, but he, he seems to be able to pick young, talented guys and most of them seem to work out at least to a certain point. I just think I just think if you've got to play him in the centres or the wing or anything, I would, I would have found a way to get someone as talented as that into my team. That's the thing. I don't understand sometimes why they let players go or players that have a lot of talent. People don't, or some of the clubs don't seem to have patience with them, but then have infinite patience with some players that will never get better than where they are at the moment, which is, you know, you do see that a lot, which is really interesting because I think to nurture that talent takes a lot of work and I think a lot of clubs aren't willing to do that if I'm honest um I think the Titans attack cost them the game I mean Don was denied twice I think they were pretty solid and at times you could see some of the class there but they're, they're just not fluid at the moment they seem a little bit more structured they're overly structured their attack's not good G their attack's not good I, I know you're trying not to criticize Jimmy Dimmick but their, their attack's really poor their attack is very structured and I think it doesn't work because structured attacks you need infinitely superior talent to get over the teams because it comes predictable right so it just becomes a talent thing but I also think with the Titans Titans, it doesn't suit their personnel. Their personnel is a little bit more freewheeling. They're opportunistic. Corey Thompson and AJ Brimson, right? But Fogarty's the perfect example of this, right? Fogarty's the perfect example of the Fogarty. He's he's a complete turnstile in defence. He misses six or seven tackles every week. They, They score two or three tries down his edge all the time, each game. So for him to be a net positive for that team... They've got to be attacking and flying. He's got to be putting on points. If you if you are if you are only planning on scoring sixteen points a game and winning and making the eight, then Jamal Fogarty shouldn't be your halfback. Okay, I don't necessarily disagree with the that. The only reason he's in there is for the points, not the defence, right? So you know that you're going to concede two or three tries. So you're down twelve nil at the start of the game, right, or ten nil at the start of the game. If that's not the style of footy you're going to play, then he's not the right halfback. I don't know. I think they're trying to incorporate their new signings, like for feeder and stuff. But you could see that when they let the ball go a little bit and they started to run in different patterns and had players in motion, they've still got a danger in attack. They're just overly structured, and for a defense like the Raiders, it's too easy to pick off. They're going to be one of the top eight, but you could see that the Raiders are at a different level at the moment and last year when the titans were threatening some of these bigger teams they played explosive aggressive attacking football and this year they're not doing that they're going through their plays and set plays and they're not quite there now maybe that becomes more fluid but i actually think they've taken a strength and brought themselves back to the pack instead of keeping that strength that they had last year which is that offloads and people following the ball through and you know they've got players like Corey Thompson's try was sensational that was a great try by the Titans and even his finishing skills were were fantastic so and I just think the Raiders yeah just did enough Uh, you know they weren't great like you say but they were solid they were just solid every player played a decent game no one really stood out for me and they were a little bit too good because the Titans tried to play too conservatively and it kind of backfired. They couldn't break the defense. And I think if they did and threw the ball around, really challenged the Raiders' defense, I, the, the game was there for them to win. And they honestly weren't good enough to do it. So we move on to the Sunday games then. Uh, the Channel 9 kickoff game was Newcastle versus Saints, an injury-ravaged Newcastle. So again, hard to draw a form line through this through this game because of the because how injured Newcastle were. They're not going to be able to field a squad of 21 this week. I'll find somebody playing. They'll probably get um, Maddie, Maddie Johns. It's more than nine injuries, right? That's that's how injury depleted they are. It's like 30% of their squad's injured. So having said that, 
Newcastle led this game for 59 minutes before Saints ran over the top of them as the Knights ran out of legs due to injuries. Mitchell Pearce looks like he's torn a peck. That could be 10 to 12 weeks um, after an attempted one-arm tackle on Tarek Sims. I mean, it was a bad attempt. And he's an experienced player with 301 games. Shouldn't have attempted it that way. Mind you, why are you trying to tackle Tariq Sims, who's like a 1,000 kilos, and he's actually fired up this year? Lucky he didn't pull his arm socket out, right? He's like a Wookiee. <laughs> and Tariq Sims had a great game. He's back. Oh, he's back. Um, Mondo Brown mentioned that on Twitter. Mondo Brown is actually engaged with the Dragons again. It was, he was complaining about Paul McGregor and switching teams every other week. Are you back on Twitter, G, are you? No, I'm not. Well, Mondo Brown, actually, um, he's a friend of ours, caught up with him over the weekend, and he said, hang on, I can't go now because I'm watching the Dragons game. <laughs> can't well, believe okay, it. good on him. So he's back. He's, he, his fortunes follow that of Tarek Sims. Tarek Sims is back, and so is Mondo Brown. <laughs> it basically is. Tex Hoy also got injured with a hamstring injury, and Kurt Mann missed, well, he got he head injury assessment, and he failed it, and he didn't come back. So they lost three, they, lo- they lost cattle, and Saints ran over the top of them. Just to give you some idea, I, I read those names out, but I think it's worthwhile dwelling on the positions the Knights lost during the game. They lost their fullback, halfback, and 5'8 during the game. Like, it's hard, it's hard to no draw chance, a line, yeah. right? Connor Watson was forced to play lock, Halfback and fullback during the game. How's, how's that for versatility? Completely underrated player. I would love. He's the type of player I would love him at Para. He's had some unfortunate injuries, which is a shame. But I, I agree with this. Incredibly skillful, and he knows that he can read the game. There's so ten well. skills in the game. He can do nine of them at a really high clip, right? So, despite this, it was an even game, right? The Knights led seven six at halftime, and then thirteen twelve with twenty to go. So they, they they really hung in there and they toughed it out. But but Saints ran over the top of them. For Saints, Tarek Sims was back to form. Looked dangerous throughout on the left edge, and he ended up getting a double. For the for the Knights, Braley at hooker. Those Braley brothers are really good hookers. Both of them are really, really good. They are very good players. The Braley brothers, they're New South Welshmen, aren't they? They're, yes. I, I think they're playing better than Damien Cook. Yeah, they are. They're, they're, they're Cronulla locals. I think they're playing better than Damien Cook, right? Damien Cook had 2018, and he's still the beach sprinter. You hear the comment, like... There's no critical analysis of Damian Cook's game. Sure, he was good on on the weekend, but that was his first good game in a long one and a half good games this season. So, so I think I think he was sensational. Can I just mention one thing before I hand over to you, G? And this is the rocks and diamonds of Corey Norman. The Saints were up 22-13. Okay, so so the Knights are still in the game, even though they're running out of cattle, with eight minutes to go. So what happens? Corey Norman, with eight minutes to go, decides to do a short dropout. It doesn't go the ten meters. The Knights get a penalty in front. That's Corey Norman. Anyway, they managed to repel repel it. Then, last play, Corey Norman kicks the ball dead to give Knights... Set, this is eight minutes. This is the last eight minutes of the game. This is Corey Norman's last eight minutes of the game. Kicks the ball dead for a seven-tackle set. Knights go up the other end, force another line, goal line dropout. The first one didn't go 10 metres. Corey Norman goes, I know what I'll do. There's like four minutes to go at this point. I'll let them back in the game by trying another short dropout. <laughs> I'm blown away by the thinking process. <laughs> What, what, what is he thinking? Look. You know what Greg Alexander said in commentary with the second goal line dropout? Or oh, Peter Sterling might have said it. I think it was Sterling. I was watching Channel 9. Sterling goes, It's probably Sterling. I'm pretty sure this one won't be short. <laughs> and then he did the second one short. I mean, it's just... That's kind of what makes him Corey Norman, right? No no pun intended with Anthony Griffin. I would have hooked it. That is such stupidity. It's not funny. It is, but that's co- that you've got to live with no, that with Corey no, Norman. No, that's no, what no. allows I can coach physical. I, agree. I, can I coach disagree. Set plays. I can coach all this sort of stuff. 
There's not a lot I can do for stupid. Look, I'm not saying it wasn't stupid. It's a learning It's, it's He's a 31 learning and played like 250 <laughs> first grade games. I know, but you know, that's kind of what makes him that creative player. You've got to oh live with some of that God, stuff. If, if I was a Saints supporter, it would have done my head in. It would have done stupid. my head in. Stupid. But I think also throughout the game, you saw some of his touches of class and some of the, the connection he's starting to get with Dufty. Dufty's following him around all the time. He's drawing two, three defenders and putting Dufty into space a lot of the time. They've got a great combo happening at the moment. I know the Cody, the Shibasaki trial was pretty cool only because Cody Ramsey, not because he dropped it, but he just made such a meal of it. Like he dropped know, it, then I went know, after it, then fell over and it bumbled it. Like... <laughs> and I felt good for Shibasaki because he was terrible last week. Yeah, last week, a bit of a change. Tarek Sims, I mean, look, I thought the Knights were really hung in after a lot of injuries, but when they scored and made it 13-7 after halftime, I actually thought they might go on with the game. Yeah, they just ran out of subs and legs and players. I honestly think that pass, the no-look pass from Clune to, to Tarek Sims, the 30-metre trial and angle just steamrolled through the gap, and that was angry Tarek Sims from three or four years ago. That turned the momentum, and then the charge down, and but he's two tries Yeah, but I mean, he was man of the match. Him and Braley were the two best players on the field. Yeah, I thought Newcastle were going to hang on. No, I, I, I didn't think I didn't think the Knights had hang because you got you, no? fatigue. I thought they would. One player on the bench. If you, you're going to lose the game in the last twenty minutes because of fatigue, I, I just think they were doing a great job, right? And I think what happened after that is once they they got behind, they just ran out of legs at the end. I don't know what they're going to do, but again, Norman was active, and that's what you want from him. And the Dragons have won again. Good to get see Braden Williami get a little bit of a run. He's one of those guys that's always had a little bit of ability, but always, unfortunately, gets a serious injury. He's just been very unlucky. And um, he's a good backup for the Dragons to have on the bench as a utility. And he can play the centre and he runs hard. Well, they got they got para this week. This will be a good test for them, I reckon. It will be a good test. Corey Norman... Well, Corey Norman might be the man well, of the match. He's either going to cost them the game or win them the game, right? So, so the second row battle is going to be good. Sean Lane, if Ryan Madison's back... Nathan Brown and Tarek Sims is playing really, really well. Can I, can I say both teams have gotten better with with Tyson Frizzell moving to Newcastle? Newcastle's gotten better with Tyson Frizzell. And so is Saints. It's a bit funny because Tyson Frizzell's a good player. Newcastle hard to pick. They just too many injuries. have too many injuries week to week at the moment. They've got good players. They're playing well, but there's just so much chopping They might not make the so eight far. now without Mitchell Pearce there. I'm not sure Blake Green's the halfback to get them to the eight. So And Saints, Saints, Saints could be the team that replaces them. I think Saints looks like it's the only team that could possibly replace them. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. Anyway, okay, let's move on to the Sunday games. The Channel 9 game at 4pm was the Roosters versus the Warriors. The Roosters got this one 32-12. I, I actually thought the Warriors started this game well and were the best team for the first 20 minutes. They were up 12-6. Um, but as soon as Fanua, bloke, Fanu, Fanua, bloke, Fanua Blake went off after 15-20 minutes... Um, with a knee injury, the game changed at that point. They lost their go forward, uh, and the Roosters utterly dominated from that point on. Uh, and, and Sam Walker made his debut, and despite what everyone says and the Roosters getting support, oh, he was, he was solid. He showed a level head, but it's his first game of first grade, right? And it, he actually didn't deserve the days of headlines he got after it. He was a great, solid performance, level-headed, played in a team that dominated the Warriors up front. And to help him out, this is where Robinson's, you know, Trent Robinson's really clever coach. He, Teddy played in the line a lot more and was heavily involved. And Angus Crichton protected him and continued his great form. Angus Crichton's been one of the form back rowers in the comp this year, so he's done really well. And Brett Morris, I mean, can Brett Morris play till he's 73? He got another double. I mean, he scores tries when you think there's no way to score them. He's got telescopic, he's like Inspector Gadget. It's not the contact and, and, and that stuff. He's always been good at that stuff. He's still quick. Brett Morris is a funny, funny player, right? Like, I used to watch him on TV a lot. And you sort of see him as quick. And I have to say, he's one of those players where you watch him in person, he's entirely different when you watch him live. 
you see how quick he is and how big he is and explosive he is. He's a fantastic athlete when you watch him live. He looks very different than he does on TV. It's bizarre to say, but he does. The, the stats in this game were pretty even, except in second phase play. So where the Roosters won this game, they're winning games, di- well, it's only been one week, right? But they won this game differently to the way they started the season with Luke Geary, a lot of razzle-dazzle football. This wasn't that. This was second phase play with a lot of, they had a lot of offloads. They had 10 offloads versus three. So it was people hold, staying up in the tackle, offloading them, getting second phase play. And with Fanua Blake out, they completely ran over the forwards. Like the Warriors forwards were poor. 600 more run metres for, for um, the Roosters. And they slowed the play of the debt ball down. They weren't concentrating on that in the first few weeks. It was razzle-dazzle football, end-to-end stuff. and squ- It wasn't that. This was, we're going to attack a different way. We're going to attack through second phase play. A bit like Para last year towards the end of the season. We're going to attack through second phase play and we're going to win the game in the ruck. The Warriors were 10% slower playing the ball than the Roosters. And over the course of a game, that makes a big difference. It allows your defensive line to reset. So he's already adjusted the tactics even after a, a week after losing Luke Keery. What did you think of this game, G? I think it's one of those things. I think the Roosters have just got their system. I thought Sam Walker, again, a really good debut. And he's 18. It's fantastic coming into Correct. a team that Correct. has that, plays with that intensity that professionalism i mean if he was at the bulldogs that wouldn't have been as as comfortable well it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't have been as comfortable as a debut either but i think what is good is oh his dad was a good player ben walker was a good player you know it's just he's he's got he knows how to create space the try he scored which i thought was really great is you know when he put um and he put the back roller through the through the hole nat butcher, nat butcher played well it was just the way he ran he he changed pace and then he drew the defence and then gave him a ball into space. He created that space for Nat Exactly. Put- you know what Sam Walker looks like to me after one game? He looks like a footy player as opposed to an athlete. Yes. Yes. He, he You know, it wasn't like he just ran at full speed. He kind of changed gears, dragged the guy out, then waited until the gap, the guy committed, and then popped the ball out. And Butcher was waiting for it, but he ran into Can a Can I also hole. say, I know, I know they want to keep him in the system and Cooper Cronk and all that sort of stuff. I don't... If he is a footy player... I don't get what Cooper Cronk's coaching Sam Walker on. They, they, if he is a footy player, that's the first game I've seen him. They're complete, they're, their ideas of a halfback are completely diametrically opposite. Cooper Cronk was the most structured, unnatural halfback ever. He was just great at what he did. He was just great at what he did. He was clinical. Clinical execution. He wasn't, he wasn't a footy player, if you know what I mean. No, I do, totally. And I think um, you can. that comes across in his commentary. If you listen to his commentary, it's always like, oh, you should have done... He's always talking about what you should have done, the percentage play. I don't know if he necessarily loves the creativity so much. He probably does, but it's not his no. natural instinct, I think, Cooper. Again, BMOS, some of the, the tries, the, the try where he should have been bundled into touch. I mean, that was poor defense, but still an amazing... The ride, the con- contact. The ride, the contact, and then duck through two people and then stick your hand out and score. I think the Roosters showed great desperation in defence and they played with an intensity that the Warriors couldn't match and they eventually overran them. I think towards the end, back into the first half when Warriors made a break and Nikorima got run down and that was purely desperation when RTS stormed through. That would have been 12-6. The Warriors were up 12-6, G. Oh, sorry. Whoops. No, instead 18, of 18-6, actually. 18-6, sorry. yeah, okay. The, the Roosters actually, it was a 12-point turnaround. Instead of having a big lead, all of a sudden it's equal, it's tied again. Oh, and, and, then, and then the next 55 minutes, the Roosters just went on with it. What I do like about the Roosters, sorry, what I do like is they just keep attacking. They run with speed, they offload, they keep the play alive. They're looking for opportunities all the time. I respectfully disagree. I think they were a very different team this week to the first few weeks. The way they're doing it was very different, much more structured. 
much more structured this week. But they basically attack through second phase play. Basically, this week that's not the that's not the way the Roosters normally play. They play punch a halt in the defensive line and then give it to your yeah, give it to yeah, spread it from there yeah. And you got Luke Keary. But and I guess that's what I meant by keeping the ball alive. Like they were playing off some of the second phase play. They're not traditionally known as an offload team, right? And and that's that's exactly what they were doing this. No. Game. Well, they're going to be there or thereabouts. I, I don't think... Without Luke Keery, I'm not sure they can win it. I'm not sure they can win it, but, you know, they're going to be they, up I there I think they're, sure. they're in the best six teams in the comp. You can still see they're still too good for all these other teams. So, good, good all right. win. We move on to the Easter Monday game, which I was nervous about, as you know, before this game kicked off. I did tip my mighty eels, and I did get a perfect round. Can I just say I got a perfect round in our tipping comp, G? Uh, stop. Didn't I you? didn't. So I went for the upset. I'm still happy with the Titans tip. I still think they could have won the game, but why I tipped yeah, the Cowboys? Yeah, because they've, they've no shown way. really good form in the leading up to the game. That's why you tipped them. Can I ask you a question? Who did you tip in the Dogs game? Is that even a question? Whoever the Dogs are playing. You're one of those guys that doesn't tip their own team. You can't. Not when they're that bad. Oh, I, I don't... I don't I... Can your cat do the pod from now on? No. How loyal are you to the dogs? You've got to tip the dogs each week. No, that, that basically means I'm starting with a handicap. Yeah, well, th- I, no one asked you to pick the dogs as your team. That's terrible. All right. So the pa- Parra got this 36-22 at ANZ Stadium. Um, Parra were up 20-10 at halftime after jumping out to a 16-0 lead. Um, the Tigers came back into it after two amazing bombs by Duehi. He was he was really good. He was really harsh on himself after the game, saying he wasn't great. Blah blah blah. But I thought it, I thought I think he's playing quite well. Yeah, he's playing very the, well. As the first player. one was dropped by Gotho, and the second one turned into a meme on the internet by Fergo. He was he was all over the shop trying to get that second bomb, and they. Sc- they had a lot of trouble with those torpedo bombs. He's, have, you, have you seen him there? Did you watch him? He turns the ball flat and he kicks it through the fat part of the ball. So it's obviously something he practices. It's a torpedo bomb. They practice it and it floats and it actually starts to swirl. It wasn't. Have a look back on it. It's not the torpedo. The torpedo, you kick long, long edge and you try and hit it through the fat to get it spiralling. This wasn't that. He, had, he held it sideways and through the fat part of the bladder straight up. It was the one that wobbles, the Cristiano Ronaldo kick. Oh, okay. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yes. It was free kick. So it was... It was. I thought he played really well. Probably experimenting with different bombs. That's actually great. See, to be honest. The Tigers' goal line defence, though, in the first half, in the first 30 minutes, was poor. They just let... You know those tries? They, they just let Mitchell Moses run all the way across the field, all the way back, without laying a hand on him. It was just... Poor goal line defence and Parra dominated through the middle. Madge Maguire loves these massive forwards, these massive packs, but I'm not sure the game's a bit different. I'm not sure these packs are the right packs for you. Need, you need a bit more mobility in your pack nowadays. So you do. Madge Maguire is stuck. I told you in 2012-14, and he forgets that he had GI and Alex Johnson and all these speedy guys that could just run past people and win the games for him. And he's still playing the same style of football with totally different players. And it doesn't work. Like, I thought Alex Tawol, he's a good player. They're playing those three props in the middle of the field. Like you say, they don't have enough mobility when you've got players like Mitchell Moses crabbing across field and everyone's watching him and all of a sudden puts a grubber through. And these big guys, they can't cover all Making the gaps. Alex Tawol is a second rower, Luciano on the left. So moving into the right edge and then potentially bringing in a ball player like Ty- a Tyrone Peachy type at 5'8", uh, lock. 
maybe not Tyrone Peachy. You probably you probably need someone bigger than that for the Tigers anyway, because defensively they're so poor. You're just making the defense worse doing that. But but just someone who can ball play, who can ball play out of the back row. Their attack is too predictable, and it reminds me of South's attack without the she talent that South had. Where... Bombs. It was just bombs on the weekend. Yeah. They run hard. They run straight. And the thing is, then they rely on a bomb or something like that to because they don't have. They're not throwing much at the defense, and against the better teams, T, you can't beat them by not challenging the defense what i find funny about some of these crapper teams is when they are behind by 10 or 15 points and all of a sudden they have to score a try they start to play a bit more football and they threaten the other team's defense but they only do that when they need to whereas the good teams are playing like that a lot well i reckon para in the second half they made a lot of errors they had five errors and an obstruction in the first 20 minutes of the second half. Like, they couldn't complete a set to save their lives. I think Para played down to the Tigers in the second half. They're a little bit of an emotional side. They ride the waves, and they can play down to their opposition sometimes. That's absolutely right. Off the back of these errors, the Tigers got it back to 22-24 before... And it's controversial. Was he offside? Was he onside? I thought he... He was offside. He was offside. No, I thought he was definitely onside. If you look where the kicks played and you played the line across the field, I think he's onside by... I think it was clear cut, but I, I don't think that I don't think the Eels would have lost that game regardless. To be honest, I think it's almost like you got too. Gutho put the yeah. game out of reach, and Mitchell Moses finally got a conversion, um, and then Fergo got one after the full time siren. Para in the second half made seven errors and the obstruction call, so that's eight eight out of their nineteen sets. Something something went wrong, um, and and Gutho and Opacic finished with a double each, and Mitchell Moses kicked four from seven. His kicking wasn't great this game. The Tigers in this game were obsessed with offloads rather than go forward. So Madge tried to do, if it was a game plan, they tried to do something different. So, so they had 23 offloads in the game and 16 in the second half. That's, again, not the way the Tigers normally play. They were obsessed with it. Not usually, no. They sacrificed go forward. You know what? I think they kind of need, like if you just go forward against Para. This is the thing. You need to throw something different at these defences. Even go forward and then trying to go around them. Teams like Para, Penrith, the Roosters, the Storm, their defence is so fast and they, they're desperate and they slide so well and their cover defence is so good. That's not enough. You need to punch holes. You need to drag defenders in and create space. I agree Offloads or runners in motion or whatever. So they might have tried something different. Didn't quite work. But then if you think about it, the, the Eels weren't great. But... They matched it. They matched it with the Eels, though, which I think is a positive. Sorry, sorry, Tigers fans. I don't think they matched it with this. I think the Eels let them, but let, let them back, let them back in the game. The Eels had another couple of gears. I, I can't quite work out what they're trying to do in Tigerland. That's a big change. Like Trent Robinson was forced into having a game plan and having an attack around second phase play because of injuries. The Tigers, to me, look like a team trying a few different things to find out what works for them. At the moment, defensively, they're poor. And attack-wise, they're, they're not throwing enough at the opposition. Having said that, it's not the Cowboys' problem. Tigers fans, your boys are having a go. They are trying. It's not like they're not trying. Their attitude was good again this week. I, I, look, I'll tell you what. I'd rather be the Tigers than, than some of these other teams, right? So I think, I think you'll get there, but, it, but, it, but it's, still, it's probably still a couple of years away. Papa, Papali and Reed Marnie were great again. I, I, and I thought Adam Duahi and Luciano Leilua were the best for the Tigers. So Yeah, how good of a pickup was... Um... He's he's right up there for the signing of the season along with Tino. Just great. I mean, we got a good swap there. The, the one thing I, I picked up for Para is, do you think Nia Kore could be targeted with bombs? Uh, well, I, th- I think our whole backline could be targeted for bombs. Well, he's a second rower. No, I mean, they had a bad day. 
But like Blake Ferguson is usually, you know, they have the odd day. Once you drop one or two, sometimes mentally you go all over the place. But but Neocore didn't seem confident in jumping towards that. And that's something you've often got time to get under the bomb. That's something that Brad Arthur can just get Blake Ferguson to to cover for him on. So so I think there's other ways you can attack Neocore. Now he he's he's a second rower playing center, so his lateral movement isn't as solid as say a Wonga Blake, right? No. But he's a really good defender, though. If he gets an arm on you, he'll bring you down, whereas Wonga Blake can get into a one-arm tackle. So that's the, that's, that's the trade-off for Neocore and Wonga Blake. So the way to get to Para is the same way Souths and a few of these teams got to them last year, and that's the go around them because they play that compressed defensive line. Yeah, but you've got to be willing to throw the ball around and come at depth. It's not second phase play. It's punch a hole and go around them. So break the line. You need a line break through the middle or, or, or almost line break. You get momentum through the middle, through your forwards, and then quickly, because you need a quick play of the ball. You need like a Cam Murray play of the ball at that point. And then you spread them from side to side because they keep. that's where all the space is. And you find you're getting metres on the eels when you do that. I, lo- I love the um, the try that the Tigers scored through Little to bring them back into the game. Because what I loved about that try was the fact that Luciano Leilua went in at a smaller guy, not just to try and run around him. It's like, okay, I'm going to drag in Dylan Brown and put my hand out because I'm going to be too big. And he was an easy offload. And he had the runner coming through and they scored. I think that's a good style of football that's slowly starting to come back into the game lately, I've noticed, where players are looking to offload and some they're looking for someone to come running off them. And that's hasn't always been the case. You have someone trying to offload and they're looking around to see if anybody wants the ball and someone's always you know trying to set up for the next play. Whereas now you've got players playing off that offload. They're attacking off the offload which I think is good. And the Tigers, that's another way to punch holes in through some of these structured defences. So maybe the coaches will figure that out and maybe the rules will change the style of play that's effective, which I think is hopefully what happened. Look, I'd rather be them than the Cowboys, Bulldogs, Seagulls and Broncos. But they've, but they've got similar problems. Their defence isn't good and their attack's not looking great either. Like if you look at some of these other teams like Manly, the Bulldogs, the Cowboys, Cronulla weren't that great. South weren't that great and they got pumped by 40. Whereas you could say Para didn't quite play to their best, but the Tigers could have possibly won that game with a bit of luck. So it's uh, Para and the Panthers are 4-0 and to start the season. So good start. And and we've got three teams on the ladder that haven't won a game yet. And that's the, the Cowboys, Bulldogs and Seagulls, obviously. Um, can I also say there are there are currently four teams that have conceded more than are conceding on average more than 30 points a game and that is the Tigers the Cowboys the Bulldogs and the Seagulls and they're the four teams at the bottom of the ladder so defense is really important in this comp it's um i don't know let's and then the, the next closest teams that are around 22 points a game so that's it. that's a big disparity right that's a big disparity defensively and that's the Broncos so defensively there's, those teams have a few issues, so it's not just the attack, although their attacks look woeful as well. All right, let's let's that concludes our review of uh, round four of the NRL. Shall we move into the preview for round five? Yes, we should. All right, round five. First up on the Thursday night is Souths versus the Broncos. We're going to get a few, a couple of lopsided games this round as well. The South Souths are a dollar five favourites, and the Broncos are nine dollars. The Broncos have twenty and a half point start. There were three teams with twenty plus point start in round four and the teams covered them every single time so 20 and a half against Souths may not be enough for the Broncos I mean is there anything other than a Souths win here I think the Broncos will play pretty well you want to see them stick in the fight a little bit longer and not let their confidence drop so much they do they're playing a lot better Brisbane Cody Walker will be out of this game 
So I think the Rabbitohs won't cover the 20-plus. I think they'll win by about 10 points. It'll be, it'll be there or thereabouts. I think the line's about right, and, and South will definitely win the game. So if we move on to the Friday games now, so first up is the Warriors versus Manly. I actually think this will be quite a good game. I think Manly's a shot in an upset here. The Warriors are $1.39 favourites, and Manly are $3. Manly have got a 7.5-point start. So why I say that, they can't keep playing this badly. They have had a lot of criticism. They have to come. If they don't show anything this game, they may as well write the season off. This is their chance to notch up a win. They've had a really tough draw. So I'm, I, I think, is Tommy Turbo back this week or next week? Next week, I think. I think this will be a tight game. $1.39 Warriors, $3 Manly. Manly have got seven and a half points start. I'm, I'm struggling to call this one, actually, although I have a feeling you've got a solid opinion on this. I, again, I really struggle with Nathan Brown's conservative game plan for the Warriors. It doesn't suit their personnel. They've got big, fast, strong wingers. You've got to utilize the talent that you've got. Against the Roosters, again, when they threw something different at the Roosters' defense, they pieced the defensive line. RTS coming from the back through the middle. You know, when they needed a try in the second half, they threw it out to Moore Marlow and he sort of steamrolled a few people in not much space and scored a great try. But they don't do that enough. And maybe he's building a basis and they're going to, you know, free up the attack a little bit more. But it doesn't suit Nikarima. It doesn't suit his person, RTS. Like, once they let go and sort of just played a little bit more free-flowing football, they look far more dangerous. And I think if they play that way, I think they'll have too much for Manly. But, again, Manly's played pretty much all the really top-tier teams. And now they're kind of playing a little a team at a little bit of a lower level. So it'll be interesting to see how it, it plays out. I'm tipping the Warriors. Only because they've held their own at times, like you say, and the Seagulls have led in pretty much 40 points a game, which is unbelievable. But I think it'll be a tight game. I don't think it'll the Seagulls will get flogged. And if they do... Oh, if they do, oh, if they do, you're right off the season. Yeah, right off the season. If I was Tommy Turbo, I'd run and do a beach sprint on Manly Beach and then accidentally fake a hamstring injury and be out for another five weeks. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Tommy Turbo... Don't take any of that advice. All right, this is, the next game is the Channel 9 game on Friday night in round five, and that's the Panthers versus Raiders. I think this will be a cracking game. Panthers are $1.39 favourites and the Raiders $3. They've got a, Raiders have got a seven and a half point start. I think the Raiders will show up. I think they'll be good, and I think the Panthers will get them just. If the Panthers blow the Raiders away, watch out, rest of the comp. This game, I'm, I'm expecting to be very close, and this is the game where I think with Penrith, where their lack of a fullback might show up they're missing dylan edwards who was playing a little bit differently this year and having a bit more impact i think i expect it to be really tight a really good game and i'm i'm gonna tip the panthers just but i think this is going to be a very interesting and i game think it'll to be watch. close too g so i think i think the, the raiders it's plus seven and a half i think it's good value i would i would if i was betting i would take the raiders in this game because i think Penrith's goal kicking oh they've both got great goal kickers croker and um cleary I think to win this game, the man of the match for me would have to be Luai. I think he's got to add that X factor on the fringe there to trouble the Raiders' defense. Otherwise, through the middle, the Raiders and are the Raiders' very defense solid. is really good, right? It's going to be Panthers' attack versus Raiders' defense. It's going to be a really good game, I think. It's really good, and it's hard to pierce their, their, their forward pack. So Penrith won't find it as easy. But you know what the interesting thing is? I want to see maybe later in the year how it tracks where teams like Penrith play like a Manly or someone where they're basically on a different level. 
and then they come up against a heavyweight like the Raiders, how they bounce back in those games, because it's a whole different well, level. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's almost like a training run. You almost ride off. It's almost like a bye week. Correct. Well, it's a good point. It'll be interesting to see. It's almost like you get battle-hardened and then turn up and play an easy beat and then have to... You know, you see that in soccer, you know, with PSG, where they were flogging everybody every week, and then they play in the Champions League, and all of a sudden, it's a whole different level. And sometimes they would struggle to adjust, because they were so used to beating everybody so easily. So it'll be interesting to see. All right, we move on to not-so-Super Saturday, although I think there are actually two, finally, there'll be two games that are decent on Super Saturday. The first up, and I think it'll be a decent game, is Titans versus the Knights. The Titans are a favourite, $1.37, and the Knights are $3.10. The Knights have got eight-and-a-half point start. Uh, I think this game's back on in the Gold Coast. I think I think with all the restrictions are off now, so I think I think this game will be played on the Gold Coast. All other things being equal, the Titans should get this game. The Knights are tough. I think the Titans, but they've got to fix their attack. If they can fix their attack, they'll win this game. I think so. I think the Knights' injury toll is just too many injuries. The Knights, I don't know, they're just very unlucky with their with, with their personnel the last year or two. They've I mean, maybe it's a training thing. They've had a lot yeah, of injuries. Pieces out. I think. I think they. That you know, I'm. I'm now worried about them in the eight. You can't. You can only survive a number of injuries for so long, right? So, I think it'll be a tight game. But I think if the Titans attacked on song, I don't think the Knights have got enough. I think this has got to be a big game for Jamal Fogarty. I think it's a big game for the Titans. They've spent the first four weeks trying to be structured and then throwing in some unst- unstructured football. But something's not quite right at the moment, and I think they really need to you know, show up and sort of really dominate this game. They're not playing with the same joy they played with towards the end of last season, right? There was an enthusiasm to the way they play. Yeah, like an excitement and enthusiasm and backing up. Yeah, all up that's missing this. I don't know if it's a pressure or like you say, the expectation is weighing on them a little bit. This is a game they need to sort of stamp their, their credentials on. They need to win this game if they right. want to be in the eight. So we move on to the next game in Not-So-Super Saturday, and this is a Not-So-Super game. This is the Dogs versus the Storm. The dogs are eleven dollars. The storm are a dollar to four, and the dogs have a twenty-four. Man, this is like Western suburbs. Twenty-four from the and 80s. a half like, points start. Twenty-four and a half over four tries. Now, this game got me thinking about what are the record-winning margins in the NRL or in rugby league history, and I came across Saints versus Canterbury. 91-6 at Earl Park in 1935. The Roosters. That was the first year they were in the competition. The following week, they backed up and they put in a really good performance, only losing 87-7 to Easts at the sports ground. So that's two weeks. But, mate, look, that's gradual improvement, right? You got, you so got... if, you, if you go to the NRL era, I think you're then at the Parramatta that night game where we smashed Cronulla 74-4 in 2003. I don't think it'll be quite that. But, you know, it just depends if the Storm... Uh, in fifth gear, it could be 50 or 60. But if they're not, I don't think they'll do that. I think this will be a 30-point margin, something like that. 30 to 10, 40 to 10, something like that. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say you're going to score a, two, a couple of tries. Well, last week we did say I thought if the, the Bulldogs will lose by 30 and we had a discussion about me being overly optimistic, they lost by 38. So um, the Storm, honestly, I think it's all going to come down to whether the Storm are in fifth gear or not. Like you said, I think if they, you know, you see some of the other teams where they sort of put pedal to the metal for a while and then kind of eased off a little bit and then probably started to change tactics during the game or try different things, which some of the teams absolutely did. The Storm will win anywhere between 20 to 30. If the Storm go all out for 80 minutes and really... It could be 60. It could be 60. You're looking at a 40 to 50 I think point I... margin. <laughs> the, the, the Bulldogs cannot score... 
And the Storm are not the type of team that let you... In attack is where they take their foot off the pedal. They almost never take their foot off the pedal in defence. If they get going early, like if, 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 if it's 18-0, if it's 18-0 after 20 minutes, it could be 50 or 60. It could be 50 or 60. The Storm don't take their foot off the pedal in attack and they keep it going. Cause like, but, you know, you saw Nico Hines playing dummy half last week, right? You haven't seen that before. So what you'll find is if the Storm go all out for 80 minutes... I think the margin will be 40 plus. If they ease off and start, you know, trying those different combinations and resting Munster or taking off Pappenheiser and all this kind of stuff, then they'll win by 20 to 30. But it could be anything, this game. Could be anything. All right. Well, we won't spend too much time on it. We spent a lot of time on the dogs the last couple of weeks. So if. The other thing I will say is, in regards to Trent Barrett's complaints that I didn't bring up before, he's pretty much had a full strength team to pick if from. If you can call that team that you put on the park full strength. Regardless, but yes, but it is right. So that's not a good sign when you're losing. That's down to your recruitment as well. That's not all coaching. I mean, yeah, like it's it's just it's just a terrible squad. It's you got too many second rowers. You've used all your money on Nick Kotrick and like like odd odd positions and odd people that you've spent all your money on. Chris Anderson, fantastic stuff, Chris. I mean, the problem for and I know what you're hinting at there. The problem is they're dinosaurs. Some of these people are dinosaurs. The game isn't what it was. It isn't what it was 20 years ago. Anyway, moving on to the last game of Super Saturday, and I think this will be a good game. It's the Roosters versus the Sharks. Roosters. I agree. I'm actually looking forward to this game. I want to see how Roosters the Sharks are $1.45. Sharks are $2.75. Um, the Sharks got a six and a half point start. So I find I'm I'm struggling to pick this game a little bit just because the Roosters injuries and stuff like that. I, I think in the end the Roosters will be too professional, but I think the line's right. There'll be one try in this. I'm looking forward to this game. I think this is actually the game of the re- well. Oh, we got Penrith and Canberra. Sorry, but I think this is actually there's a couple a of good really games good this game. week. Hopefully it'll be better than last week. Jesus. Yeah, the Sharks have been playing really well. They've beaten the teams they have to beat, and now they're up against a really good team. But all their players are there. Their players are playing pretty well. They're in good form. I saw good signs from Matt Moylan against... Um, Just sorry, Sharks fans. Matt Moylan has been playing okay. He was playing like a bit of a fullback in attack again, like in supporting the play and the try he scored, looking for that flick offload, which was a great try. But he put himself in that position. He's looking to be aggressive again. And that's a good sign for the Sharks. So I want to see how they come up against the Roosters. I'm probably going to tip the Roosters because I thought they were clinical against... I think it's the Roosters just for me as well, but but it'll be a close game. It wouldn't surprise me if the Sharks got up. And I want to see, watch how William Kennedy goes against the Roosters and are really in a top-tight game and see how much he tries to impose himself on the game this week. But the Roosters for me, but very close. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a good game this week. Yeah, one. I think it will be too. It's the 7.30 kickoff on the Saturday night, so it'll be... A, uh, I think it's the SCG, yeah? And the Roosters always play well at the SCG, so that's the other thing that plays plays a role for me. If we move on to the Sunday games, we first up, and I think this is the Channel Nine games, the Tigers versus Cowboys. Um, I if Channel Nine had their time again, they'd probably want this game back. This is for the Who Cares Cup, and the Tigers are a dollar a dollar thirty one <laughs> favourites. The Cowboys are three dollars fifty. Leichhardt Oval. It's at Leichhardt Oval, which is always a great night, a great day out. Uh, and the Cowboys are starting not by nine and a half points favourite. I think the Tigers will win this, and I don't think it'll be close. They're not playing for the coach. I'm never tipping the cow. I'm never tipping the Cowboys again after last week. I think the Tigers will win this game as well. After what I saw last week, if the Tigers turn up with a, a decent attitude, what isn't working with their attack against some of the better sides will actually blow the Cowboys away. 
and they'll win this game because their players at the moment are playing with a bit of pride and a bit of a bit of skill at times. It just hasn't quite come together. They've got the right attitude, and I think they'll be too good for the Cowboys as a result. Like Dway's playing well, he was really hard on himself after the game, but I think he's going all right. They'll tear the Cowboys apart. Like I think they'll win by yeah. You know, I, I think they'll win comfortably as well. I don't, I, there's 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 some real problems at the Cowboys, and and the Tigers have been trying. And the last game at Bankwest is at 6.15. It's family day at Bankwest. It's, and the Eels versus the Saints. I think this is a traditional rivalry. It'll be a great game. $1.31 favourites, the Eels. $3.50 Saints. It's plus 9.5 for Saints. I will be tipping the Eels. I think it'll be under a margin of 9.5, though. I am tipping the Eels only because I see them as one of the favourites. and But I really want to see the Dragons play in this game. I want to see how they aim up against a premiership contender. This year, I I want to see how Corey Norman plays. I want to see how they aim up against one of these better sides. But the the Dragons have been beating the teams they need to beat, which is a really good sign. And they have definitely improved under Griffin. He's got a lot more confidence in and Corey Norman. Yes, contract year, but he's come back alive, and that makes a massive difference to the Dragons. I want to see Corey Norman has the potential to be the best player on the field and to win the game. For and the he's Dragons certainly used to week. playing at Para. He is. Well, actually, depends what you mean by playing. Well, playing when he felt like it, there was he had like on and off years, on and off years. years that's yeah, right. that's right. So there's there's he's the X factor in that game, and they've got the Dragons have got the pace and the aggression at the moment to take advantage of a game where Corey Norman's dominant. I don't reckon it's Corey Norman whether Corey Norman plays. Well, I think this depends on which Parramatta shows up. If if Parra's on, they'll win. If Parra play like they did against the Tigers in the second half, they'll lose this game. I think that's a good summation. I'm t- I'm tipping the Eels. I expect them to be a little bit more up for this game and you know, the Dragons are running six, so they'll probably be a little bit more motivated this week and not think it's going to be such an easy game. And I think there's really good signs for Parra in attack. They're throwing and trying different things. And I think they will be too good for the Dragons. But I do think it'll be a good game. I'm expecting a good performance from the Dragons this week. I agree. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another G&T podcast. Thank you once again, G, for joining me. It's good that you were able to um, take a break from Belmore Car Park and join me this week. And the fans much appreciate it. You have got one very massive fan in my household. Oh, fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Thank you very much. So... Uh, Keep up the great work and we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Talk to you then.